Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I'm so excited. And you just can't hide it? And I'm gonna fly around until I skylight it. I don't know the words to that or the, song. Or the melody, I think. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever. It's um, it's a Star Trek week. That means What are you so excited about? That Because well, it's a Star Trek week, and I have, feel oh, like okay. I haven't done one of these in a very long time. Is that right? Does it, it's like, we haven't been doing this regularly, have we? I mean, we're doing it later in the week this week than we sometimes do, but like, <sighs> no, I think we've been doing this one pretty regs. Um. Or like, I think we did miss a week, but it was before the last one. Whatever. So. I don't know. It feels fresh. feels fresh. I'm, I feel ready. I got energy. It's been days and days. I got so much energy. I don't remember the episodes I watched this week, but I'm ready to dive in anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, what well was, let's fucking do what it. What was the first one? You know one? how this one works. What was the one that we're going to do first? As always, we do the episode from the series that placed worst in the previous week. Yeah, we still haven't got a good way to... We got to get one a handle day we'll on think this. think of a good way to describe what we're doing. <laughs> uh, last week's big loser was Voyager, continuing quite a trend. Yeah, really. Uh, so that means this week we watched Unity. kind of fire yeah it's pretty good that's a an old commodore 64 chiptune version of <laughs> super freak <laughs> oh boy i gotta do this huh? all right uh chaco and ensign kaplan are returning from an expedition to the necrot expanse hey uh, they ain't crossed that thing yet have they no nah, they're still in it they just hanging out in it i guess when you see a new when there's a new named character in some shows, you're like, this character's going to eat it. That's yeah. why I know their name now. Oh, yeah. In Voyager, it could be like, are we in five weeks, are we going to have an episode where this person's mad horny? Or <laughs> right, Yes, it's the new Vorik. Uh, like, Voyager's been pretty good at promoting these nobodies. <laughs> is this that, that creeper lieutenant who ate it in season two that I was so glad when he died because he was such a fucking creeper? I mean, he got his face ripped off, so that ain't... Or was that season one even? Jesus. That ain't so great, but yeah. Well, well. Anyway, um, but we all learned a lesson about you can't, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Klingons. I remember the lesson. Klingon half. Your Klingon half is bad. I remember the Japanese party who's good at math. That's right. And the the black party who does slam dunks is what we what we learned. Um, okay. Hey, they're lost and they flying around in circles for some reason. I don't think they're very good at this. They find... How do they fly in circles? That was crazy when she said that. Oh, don't worry. I'm not sure we ever get an answer on that. Were they just changing direction randomly? Yes, and but also they were only going right. Just over and over again. That's bad. Uh, they find a Federation beacon on the surface of some planet. 
they beam down and are surrounded by weirdos in robes. Credits. Yep. Uh, now there's a firefight, and that Ensign Kaplan goes down. Chaco follows suit. But then some other robed dudes come out of the woodwork and scare off the first robed dudes. Yep. Chaco wakes up, and a human lady is there, and she says she sent the distress signal, and they aren't the ones who attacked him. It was the first robed dudes. They're the second robed dudes. It's, uh, I want to stop you right here and ask oh. a, a question that is probably a, a derail, but I, I still want to ask it. How mm-hmm. does he know she's human? Uh, he does look right at her and go, you're human. Instead of the, uh, I don't know, 195 cataloged races that look exactly like humans. Right. Or species that look exactly like humans. Like, he's seeing something when in her or with those other races that we don't get to. Like, maybe... Maybe other races that look like humans have an odd smell, or... <laughs> yeah, maybe something else is a giveaway. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't go back and do the research, but I'm sure they have met people in this quadrant that look just like humans. Sure. I mean, probably, like, uh, top of mind are those uh, creepy Europeans. Yeah, I think they story. just had, like, like... I don't remember them looking like anything else. I remember them having, like, really ornate hair. Or what about the ones where Janeway and Tom Paris had to wear rainbow-colored shirts and join their rebellion? Boy, Do you remember that episode? Yeah, I, I also assumed they looked just like People humans. weren't constantly being like, oh, these guys are fucking aliens. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, can we pour one out for Kaplan? Anson Kaplan's Yeah, Kaplan didn't make it. She's dead. She's uh, not going to be recurring. She was one of our favorites, and oh, uh, she will be dearly missed. Uh, the shuttle that uh, was cannibalized by the bad, the bad robed guys. So Ch- Chaco's stuck there. Uh, this lady tells Chaco that eight years ago she was on a science vessel that was overpowered by aliens, and uh, they all woke up on this planet with various other aliens from the Alpha Quadrant and all over the place, Klingons and Cardis and all that. <clears throat> These days they all just kind of attack each other. Um, it's like uh, it's kind of like Tasha Yar's planet now. I mean, it's got Tasha Yar vibes. It does. It kind of looks more like uh, uh, Brule's hangout. Uh, Brule. You remember Brule? Brule is um, he's Chargon's lieutenant. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I couldn't forget Chargon. He's a gatherer. I see. I never called him Brule, so I didn't remember his name was Brule. Right, right. I right, just right, remembered right. him as like a nasty old Kurt Russell. Um. But there's like a couple of hundred of these people who are trying to like establish a, a cooperative and a peaceful society. And that's the robed dudes who saved him. Uh, meanwhile, back on Voyager, um, they come across a Borg cube. Remember last week we got that little thing at the end where they found the Borg body. <clears throat> yep. Uh, this cube is dead in the water. And Janeway immediately decides to board it to like, I guess, take their technology. You know, maybe... But I'm all, uh, I legit. What did I write? Is it just literally for more the usual Voyager's research? Just to research? Yeah, she just wants to find out their secrets. Oh. It turns out. Okay. Uh, well, this lady on the planet, um, back on the planet, says that she didn't call Chaco uh, for help getting back to the Alpha Quadrant. She just wants like weapons and supplies and stuff. Uh, yeah, this, that's supposed to be reassuring. This gray nothing that they live in—that's their home now. And. Uh, even though there are just always so many robed guys trying to kill him, like that she she ain't leaving. They're building a society, dude. Um, on Voyager, they discuss what could have happened to kill this cube and why it's been sitting there for five years. It turns out, 
Balana suggests that a species even more powerful might have done them in, but I don't know what that's based on. She just says it. She's not very uh, imaginative. It turns out, it, just, this doesn't matter, but it turns out it was just like space lightning. Yep, they flew through some space lightning and that was it. Um, Chaco kind of sneaks around and sees that all these people, all these robed weirdos are former Borgs. Uh, lady confirms they were taken at Wolf 359. Eventually they were accidentally severed from their collective. Uh, that must have been that cube that got all lightninged, right? Um, they all got their memories back and eventually they all turned on each other. So that's what's going on on this stupid planet. <clears throat> on planet race war. Yes. Back on Voyager, the doctor activates a Borg corpse they took because he was curious. Yeah. That's a... A recurring theme on Voyager. Uh, Chaco hasn't recovered from his injuries yet, and in fact, he's getting worse. The the Romulan ex-Borg doctor there says the only way to save him is to link him up with the Collective here and take advantage of the Borg ability to heal super quick. Chaco's not into that idea, but since they can't get a hold of Voyager, he doesn't really have a choice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it goes really well, and Chaco is so fucking happy about being part of this collective that he straight lives... Oh, he fucking loved it in there. ...lives in this lady's mind when it's over, and they do a sex, I assume. If not a real sex, maybe some kind of weird imagined sex. Yeah. Voyager, yeah. uh, Voyager finally reached the planet, but, like, they still can't make contact with Chakotay, um, who's on the planet trying to rebuild the communication system. Uh, Chaco invites the lady to come up and make a radical proposal to Janeway once they do make contact. Uh, They want to remake the Borg on this planet. Uh, They'll finally be free of their conflicts if they're all just one mind. Janeway and Chaco talk it out, um, and Janeway's answer has got to be no. Chaco says goodbye to this lady, and they, um, they move on back to Voyager. But Chaco starts getting some Borg speak in his head. Yep. Uh, he's in a shuttle with Balana. He shoots Balana and goes back to the cube to turn the hive mind back on. Yep. Uh, uh, the people on the planet were reaching out to him because they're under attack by those other robed guys. And they called Chaco to come in and save the day by turning on the, the hive mind or whatever. Um, Voyager sends an away team to stop him, but he turns the whole planet's Borgs back on along with those uh, along with those drones that were thought to be dead on that cube. Uh, yeah, I don't, well, yeah. The cube self-destructs, and Voyager barely escapes. They get a message from this new collective saying sorry and thanks. Yeah, honestly, that's basically it. So, Unity! What was this one? Forced alliances only last as long as the people with the will to form the community have the power to enforce it. Wow, wordy. This is a deliberate. Uh, this is a deliberate uh, Soviet Union parallel, um, including the nostalgia about communism that some people felt after it collapsed. Yeah. So it is kind of a big sci-fi. Okay. I'm just not sure what it means for you and me. I gave it points, but um, I gave it six points. Let's just say that. Okay. So this is a story about, like, if we're all, if something is keeping us all together, what happens when that goes away? Do we revert? And it presents the cynical idea that we just revert to being uh, shitty to each other all uh, the time. Falling along racial lines, too. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, like definitely. Klingons hanging with Klingons and Cardis hanging with Cardis. Always important to remember that different species uh, are 
a an analogy for different races. Yep. So it's a little pessimistic, and I don't know what we're supposed to do about it, but I still think it's big sci-fi. Okay. Um, I agreed that it was a six. I had a different one. I had uh, authoritarian tyranny can begin with good intentions. Yeah, there is that too. Uh, th- Essentially what Chaco asks in the end is, can their ideals survive their scary group mind or whatever? Like, they don't mean any harm now, but eventually the urge to preserve their order will force them to, like, take choice away from others and it happened in this episode and we're supposed to be happy that they that those borgs that those other robed guys stopped trying to kill them but like they got assimilated you know it's such a weird question how you're supposed to feel about these guys because i've seen enough of these that this woman was giving me uh creepy captor vibes the whole time oh yeah it was like fucking uh, misery or something Chakotay's in a locked room. She keeps telling him he can't go out to help fix the shit or whatever. And he and... catches her lying like seven times. Yeah. And But then at the end, I guess because they, again, because that Borg cube was going to attack him and they made it self-destruct, we're supposed to be like, all right, I guess these are the good Borgs. We've met the good Borgs, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can just dip around at execution and then we'll get to Ben's on the flip-flop. But like, sure, it, it at least raises the idea of whether the Borg started off bad. Like, sure, did the Borg start off as this scary menace out to assimilate everything, or were they just like a group of people who were like, "Hey, we're stronger together. Look at how good we are when our minds work together." And then the need to preserve the hive mind or whatever just made them too greedy. Really, is the word I want to use, and not polite. Yeah, it does raise that question. I think. I would rather see because you get to make up how the Borg started Mm -hmm. and you just use that to tell us what could happen in our life. I would rather they just answered the question instead of raised it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They are the ones who are creating the story so they could tell us, I guess. Uh, So like you can make it to make a point is the thing. Yeah. Uh, The scene where Chakotay can hear their thoughts is kind of an interesting juxtaposition from how the Borg usually address people. They keep saying shit like, we mean you no harm, we're all in this together, etc., etc., instead of uh, the usual... uh, Resistance is futile. You You you, will be assimilated. Your biological and technological distinctiveness will aid us, etc. And also an interesting take on what makes the Borg dangerous. Starts off idealistically, but the need to make everyone part of the collective soon overcomes everything else. Let's get rid of hatred, bigotry, violence, sure, but then once linked, all that matters is making the collective bigger and stronger and spreading this order. Uh, Chakotay is very boring, and this episode was boring, <laughs> and there wasn't any real character work done. So, yeah, e- I mean, even the examination of themes was pretty surface, so I could only give it a five. Uh, and uh, Ben, we should say, is a three on take, saying it feels good to belong. Right. And he, he acknowledges that they talk about absolute power briefly at the end, but he doesn't think the episode was about that. Um execution he gives a five he says they're not afraid to kill off a minor character they probably should be how many people are on that ship it, it is actually a problem and how many shuttles have they lost oh god they recently? they did lose another one didn't they <laughs> yeah uh the simultaneous discovery of borg is pretty cool the borg ship model blowing up was really dumb he thinks the execution <laughs> was more or less fine he gave it a five you gave it a five i gave it a five. Oh, hey check it out um this episode 
really lets the fact that this collective wants to force 80,000 people to reassimilate yeah. go more or less unremarked upon. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, they, they when she asks Janeway, Janeway's like, that doesn't seem like a very good idea. But then in the end, when they do it, they're just like, oh, it happened anyway. Yeah. Whatever. How did anyone make it um, back from Wolf 359, Matt? That cube was destroyed. Well, you'd, what you didn't see is off screen, they docked with a transport Borg ship. Okay. That just took it took some of the noobs back home. <clears throat> I mean, I, I will grant you that <laughs> and we don't get to see Wolf 359. It's so dumb. <laughs> but like... That cube hey, 100% flew straight to Earth and got blown up. Hey, that cube went on a direct path to Earth and got all blown up. Yeah, that's a really good question. From Wolf 359. Boy. Hmm. Uh, the telepathic sex was implied, so I'm not going to deduct points. Oh, yeah, they didn't show I us. I want it on God. record that I'm not happy. No, it was uh, uh, enough. Enough. Uh, also, actually, though, hold on, though. We're about, we're going we're gonna to get seven to nine pretty soon, and I have a feeling the sex is going to ramp up. Oh, probably. Because that's when UPN was like, we got to make this hot and sexy. Look, uh, I'm going to say this about that. I don't care. If they could do it, good. I can't believe like, I don't care if a show's got sex in but it. But we know they cannot. I'll, I'll watch a Spartacus Blood and Sand or whatever. Sure. I won't watch Out, Outlander. You should not watch it. Or, you know, such as a Game of Thrones. Those all have sex in them. I don't give a shit. Right. Star Trek is so terrible at it. And it's because they try to, to be prurient, but they know this is a syndicated show that airs at 6 p.m. on... Yeah. Uh, channel 44 or whatever all the time but you have to ask then why bother and it's yeah exactly they do such a terrible terrible job of it but they but they want it and that is i think it's how thirsty they are for it that really upsets me well i'm just saying i was like no more please but i know there's gonna be a lot more so also uh, okay so it wasn't clear at all to me if this plan that the collective have to take over chakotay and reactivate the borg ship was their plan all along, or was it their bunker just suddenly came, happened to suddenly come under attack by a force that for the first time they couldn't repel, and this was their desperation move? It does feel like it was the exact plan that they had uh, uh, had proposed to Janeway a minute before, but it's like right. then when they came under attack, they're like, same plan, just the one plan. Except now we just take Chakotay over. Luckily, we can still do that for yeah. science reasons. For reasons, yeah, right, exactly. Well, the same reason... Uh, well, they boosted their communication array, so now they can <laughs> get into his telepathic center, which the doctor talks about that he's, his telepathic reception has been turned up or something. Who knew the Borg were telepaths? This is all new. It is all new. Uh... I don't, boy, we'll we'll get to we'll get to it in family, but like, what if the Borg are getting into Picard's head, and that's not just a nightmare he's having? Uh, you mean like in um, the movie, the action movie, when the Borg are like, he can hear them. Ah, shit, in First Contact, he can hear them, can't he? Yeah, he can hear the, the he can even hear the n- newly invented Queen. I guess they telepath. I guess shit. they telepaths, but I don't know the mechanisms. I don't know how. It but works. not not strong telepaths. This you seem to have have to have linked with them technologically first. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Um, having said those things, I actually felt like the beats of this episode mostly worked. Okay. So, well, I'm a five. Can you move mine to a four? <laughs> I <laughs> sure. just I hadn't even thought about how stupid that Wolf 359 thing is. That's just really just, dumb for real. 
it's just like so unnecessary too because they could have been assimilated whatever fine yeah do you know what i mean like she was they assimilated her eight years ago in the fucking whatever sector yeah and like oh but that's before we even knew about the borg but so? don't don't worry. They're going to introduce five or six more of those people in Voyager who were assimilated before we ever knew about the Borg. And also don't worry, because then a show called Enterprise is going to come along where the Borg are up in the Arctic Circle or whatever. Oh, fuck. That already did happen. Yeah. God damn it. Enterprise. Yeah, that's okay. Those are the Borg from First Contact. Enterprise always trying to ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, that sucked. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, world building, I guess. Sure. Um. Ben's a four. Okay. He says it's possible to spontaneously unassimilate from the Borg with a power storm, mm. and then they can go all native. Um, he says, ah, it's just all about the Borg. Yeah. Uh, he gave it four all about the Borg. I gave it four. Okay. Here are some things that I have. <clears throat> uh, shuttles have optical scanners. We don't get to see how they work. I think that would have been cool. If he had like, uh, pulled out some weird binoculars or something. Yeah, something like that, or they started like looking at stars and comparing them to star charts or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, the question, what can beat the Borg, is raised, even though it turns out nothing in this episode. <laughs> yeah. But the question was asked. Humans have some natural level of telepathic receptivity that can be enhanced? Well, we know that everyone is scored on the uh, ESP scale or whatever. <laughs> Oh, that is correct. We did know that from the first episode of TOS. Whatever it was. Was it ESP? Yeah, yeah. They were Because they, they referred to them as Espers. Yeah, they had ESP ratings. Everybody had one. Yeah. It's just in your dossier. It's aggravating. <laughs> Thanks, episode one or whatever. Uh, merely being in the collective can heal neurons. And also... Uh, Hanging out in the vacuum of space with no food or energy for five years doesn't kill a Borg. That's dumb, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, the Borg or whatever they need them to be, I guess. Yeah. That's what they, they've always been, really. So I'm a four. Where are you on world building? I think I'm only a three. Uh, multi-phasic scans. Still approximately 67 years left on this journey. I, they are not taking into account how many stops they're taking, though. Like, they can't be. Um, Borg tech has been studied to the point that Balana is pretty confident she can get their shit working again if she just pops over there with a little fucking engineering kit. Uh, 1100 was this Borg cube's compliment when it went dead five years ago, possibly felled by an even more formidable opponent, Space Lightning. Borg healing technology. No, no, 1100's how many are left on board. Oh, is that how many are left? Yeah, because the 80,000 people went onto the planet. Wait, them, them cubes got 80,000 people? Aren't they a kilometer on each edge? God, that's a lot of people, though. All right. Yeah, but I mean, that's a huge amount of space. I'm going to update my notes, even though these notes won't survive. 80,000. Okay. Um. Uh, so once, when we turn this into a book someday, you'll be glad you have those notes. I won't have them. Uh, the Borg healing technologies. For me, it's a three. There's some stuff about the Borg, but I don't really know what it all means or how it works. Well, uh, you mentioned in your execution score that you didn't do much characterization work. What did you score it? A two. Tom Paris is kind of a whiner. Chakotay's a vegetarian. Also, normally he's very measured and understanding, but this Borg thing first has him hella freaked out. Uh, maybe because he's injured, I don't know. And then has him over the moon. 
he's like, he's kind of up and down in this one. This is some hippie shit that he would get into, though, being linked up into the collective. It kind of feels like his jam. It kind of does. Um, Doctor's too curious for his own good, according to this anti-science show, where every time they look into anything, <laughs> the whole world blows up around them. Yeah. Balana tries... Also, maybe there's a soul. It'll just be <laughs> maybe, right maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, Balana tries to make Chaco feel better with some shuttle banter. I mean, very little work was even attempted in this episode. Ben gave it five. Okay. He says he thinks Chakotay is a cipher. No, he says Chaco is pretty much a cipher. Yeah. That's catching on. Um, it is catching on. And they keep making him say stupid shit like <sighs> the happy hunting. He does say the happy hunting. <clears throat> barf. That's when I looked over at Marjan and I said, remember, he's an Indian. Yeah. Um, I gave it a four. Okay. Here's what I wanted. So this is only got Chakotay in it. Here's what I wanted. Anything at all about how his background colors his experience with these people. Yeah. Just any, just anything about him and how that. (sighs) No, you're not wrong because this is true every week because Chakotay in the first episode is a Maki, right? Yes. In every episode after that, he is the most straight-down-the-line vanilla Starfleet officer, and he brings nothing to the table. And it's just like, he you can just color his, you can just color in basic Starfleet into whatever is happening with him. He has the most vanilla Starfleet background, according to this show. Like, what character in TNG is as boring as him? Uh, Boring? Uh, Just in terms of their background. I mean, even Jordy. Like Riker hates his dad. Even Jordy's got like a, a handicap. Jordy's blind. Yeah. Right. Up until other than that, he's doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. He, both of his parents are still alive, which is not true of most of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, right? It's no one. Yeah, basically no one. Yeah. And it's just like there's like been five moments in the whole show where he's like, <clears throat> I think we should do this the Maquis way. Or whatever. Yeah, you want to do the Maki way? I'll give you a punch. Uh. Yeah, I mean, he, I he could be interesting either with his Maki background or if the writers were even in the ballpark of sensitivity, cultural sensitivity. Yeah, I, you know, I had it at a four, but I'm, I think it's only a three. That seems fair. Ben has a couple of quick hitters. He says, gross, that Neuralink allows... Chaco and the Chica to feel each other touching themselves. Ew. That's definitely yielded some fanfic, right? Oh, I don't know. Did we ever look up my Picard and uh, <laughs> that Car- that Cardi chick? Not Picard. Cisco and that Cardi chick? Did we ever look up their fanfic? What was her name? Fuck. I don't know. She was played by Rachel Garrett, right? Uh, da, da, da. Rachel Garrett. I should be on Bing. Yeah, that's where the nasty stuff is. Get your nasty stuff. Dun, dun, dun. Now that's in my head. Thanks. Um, oh, sorry about that. Thanks for the Ninja Turtles, the video game music. All right, uh, played by Trisha O'Neill, who played Corinus, Corinus, K O R I N A S. Cisco. 
Foreigners. Put hot fanfic. Fanfic. <laughs> Hmm. Nothing, huh? Well, Even on Bing. Well, ha- hang on. There is a story called "Do Solids Dream of Electric Electric Toothbrushes" that appears to have both Cisco and Coronas in it. Oh let's just, no! Let's just search <laughs> on that. Oh no! Are you gonna? What are you gonna search for? Are you gonna search for? Um, I'm just flipping through caress. all references of of Coronas. How about um? Man, I don't know what weirdos put in their Star Trek fanfic. J- fuck. But they might not be that clever. B- bone. By the way, and by the way, by the not, way. It doesn't seem like there's any sexy times in this one. I'm so glad I fixed my browser. I was just on memory alpha and my computer didn't do anything crazy. That's neat. It's really amazing. That's very good. It's been a, it's a good very treat. good reaction to hear. Uh, he says this episode could have been good with some good actors, and then he calls out uh, uh, poor Robert Beltran. He's not trying, and he's not good. For for me, yeah. to me, yes, uh, I had some quick hitters. Okay, good. Uh, still fucking around in the Necrot Expanse. You already brought that up. Uh, when they go down to the planet full of trash can fires and scaffolding, <laughs> again, I thought, oh, we're back in Vengeance Factor. <laughs> yep. When did they decide Chakotay's a vegetarian and why? And what does that mean, to be a vegetarian? All this food is replicated. Does he not eat replicated meat? He doesn't eat replicated meat because it reminds him. Even though it's as fresh and tasty as meat? It reminds him of a time when animals were subjugated and enslaved for for our selfish purposes. Uh, when he came out of the link... I wrote that I would have given this show 10 execution points if Chakotay had asked Riley, would you call what we did last night sex? But then they just had telepathic sex immediately afterwards, so. Yeah. That's a shame. I gave the best actor uh, to Orem. That's the Romulan doctor. Oh, okay. He had a fun enthusiasm that I liked. Yeah, most Romulans are kind of jerks. What's his deal? Uh, honestly, he seemed like he was on laughing gas most of the episode. <laughs> so he's self-medicating. That makes sense. Yeah, I was into it. Yeah. And, uh, worst actor to Harry Kim. And I want to call out that he... <laughs> he's in the episode? He doesn't have any... He has, like, a couple of lines. He seems very frustrated throughout the whole episode. He has a look on his face like he can't believe he's doing this shit. And I don't know why. <laughs> why was that? Garrett, why? Why was Harry Kim frustrated that week? Must, What's your actor's yeah, secret? That's right. He had an actor's secret that we will never know. We'll never know what his particular deal with the Borg is. Did he get? You, did he uh, lose a cousin or something at Wolf 359? We'll never know. This is a good question. Wolf 3, How many years ago was Wolf 359 in canon? Oh, this fuck. is season three of Voyager. So that makes it... So it would be season ten. ten. So six so or seven years. Six, six, six to seven years ago. So when Harry Kim was in high school. Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> Just, just third clarinet in his high school band. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, he's so far down on the clarinet scale. Everyone's like, "Why do we have so many clarinets? We honestly don't do need, need this many, this many clarinets. <laughs> we don't have many." Living songs. in our weird utopian future is tough in some situations. Everyone plays the clarinet. There aren't enough songs with this many clarinets. It's really hard. Um, I don't have many quick hitters. Um, Chaco does some Harry Kim level injury acting in this episode. It's not great, Where honestly. He's, he's really not doing a good job. Two Fork doesn't know how to read a tricorder, I think. He straight leads the security team in the opposite direction of Chaco when he's trying to find him on the cube. 
What's the deal with that? He looks at the tricorder, and he goes, This way! And he runs away from him. Chakotay was hiding under a pipe in a shadow. (laughs) It's just like, what good is the tricorder? It's going to fool the tricorder. You don't need to use that anymore. Just leave that behind next time. It's not worth anything. It's not helping you. Uh, That was literally it. This is going to be the fastest we've ever talked about Voyager, I think. I think, well, no, I think we've done some 30-minute in and out, but not when it was in the first position. It usually gets a solid 45 here. That's probably a good sign for it, because usually we just talk about how much we hated it, so. That's a good point. Uh, well, don't worry, we still get the chance, because fourth place last week was Enterprise. Oh, okay. This week we watched The Shipment. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Sing it! Uh, uh, uh. Man, that guy is really, he's getting it done. I love that song. The Zindi, yeah. we learn in the Council of Monsters opening, are weeks away from testing their new weapon. It's not the full council. It's like a a working group. It's the special subcommittee on weapon development right. or whatever. They're weeks away. Enterprise uh, shows up at the planet that Tarquin gave them coordinates for last week. The workshop um, of the Master of Tarquin Hill? No, not that guy. Oh. The... Uh, Candles. Oh. Candles and antenna. Oh, that guy. Yeah. God. Yeah. Sex, sex past Tarquin gave them coordinates for this planet. Okay, I'm glad um, there was continuity. Oh, there was, not only was there continuity, dude, they straight do a last time on. I was like, wait, is this... That's right, there's a, there's a previously. I was like, is this a two-parter? I'm hella confused. What did I miss? It's like they trust... They trust the audience to remember that we're in this long Zindi arc, but not to remember the very distressing events of last week. <laughs> they had to tell us again. Um, when they get there, they don't detect any satellites, any ships in orbit. So it means to them either Zindi technology is very different from anything they've seen or they've just straight been lied to. But either way, they've got to go down and check it out. Right. So Archer and Reed and Major Hayes, he's the Mako guy. Right. I'm glad you remembered his name. I've never remembered his name. If they hadn't said it in this episode, I wouldn't. Land a shuttle on the planet and move towards an energy source they can detect. And uh, sure enough, there's a modern-looking complex there, staffed by the uh, Arboreals Indy. Hmm. And uh, they decide that they're going to infiltrate the complex without any backup from Enterprise, because, you know, it's Archer and Reed down there. (laughs) They got it. They got it covered. They didn't bring anybody sensible. Anyway, it works. They get in, and uh, they start searching this lab and pulling out a bunch of canisters of mutagen. But then they have to hide in a corner because three scientists come in, and they talk about their problems manufacturing enough chemocyte. Mm. Uh, Enterprise beams up a sample of this shit and starts studying it, and uh, Reed wants to destroy this complex from orbit. But Archer wants to find out where the chemocyte is going, because... this is definitely a component in the weapon, but it doesn't seem like the weapon itself is being built here. Yeah, they just uh, they just making that chemocyte so good. So what they do is they follow one of the scientists home, and then they bust into his house and hold him at gunpoint, and Archer starts yelling at him. It's pretty good. It's like um, it's some real Jack Bauer shit. They don't uh, they don't get much out of him because Archer doesn't have an airlock or anything to put him in. <laughs> So, 
uh, you know, Reed's still pushing to blow up the weapons facility, but now Archer's worried that that's just going to escalate this war. And he wants to find a way to destroy the facility without taking out the rest of the settlement. So they start setting up bombs or whatever. Archer has them beam down a piece of the probe that attacked Earth to show the guy. Uh, and I, he seems like he's not moved by this, but I guess off screen he starts looking at it again. I don't know. I was going to say, his initial response is the reasonable response, which is, that's cool. That's you un- showed me a, some junk? That's some un- space junk? <laughs> nice piece of metal you got there. I don't, I, don't work, I don't work with that. I don't know what that is. Right. Uh, anyway, up on the dumb ship, uh, in in a B plot that matters not even a little bit, Trip starts taking apart the Zindi rifle they captured a couple weeks ago. Oh right, you know, in, during the events of Rajin. Yeah, I remember Rajin. Right, Rajin. <laughs> uh, and uh, and he brings it to Flocks too, and it turns out it's got some uh, weird grubs in it, and I guess they're the power cell somehow. Mm. It's powered by worms. Yeah, it's got some worms that they replicate. They're self-replicate. Or they're self-replicating worms. Right. Anyway, when we get back down to the planet, this old boy's had a change of heart. And he's like, yeah, I made the chemocyte that's in this shit. But, like, I didn't know what it was for. Right. And then he and Archer have a chat about the Zindi. And there used to be a sixth kind of Zindi. Avian Zindi. Yeah, we'll never see but- them in the council. But their homeworld was destroyed in some kind of civil war? Yeah. Uh, by the insectoid and reptilian species? They're factional. And anyway, we know that about it now. Okay. Um, Archer steps out at this point to talk to Hayes because he's back from setting up the bombs for the facility. But at this point, a reptilian ship lands and uh, it has got... You know, a couple of them monsters. Hey, I wasn't really paying attention. How did the ship not see Enterprise? Uh, it's uncertain. Okay. All right. They didn't seem to hide. It just didn't see them or care. I don't know. I couldn't remember. Like, in the episode, I'm going, wait, did I miss a part where, like, the Enterprise went away and hide behind some moon or something? Like, I'm totally confused. I don't think so. Like, uh, they're, they're not out of contact with Archer at any point? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I was confused. Turns out it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has got this old boy Degra on board. He's the guy running the project. He's the he's the PM for the death weapon. That's right. Super weapon. Yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. And he's got some of the reptilian monster guys with him. And uh, they're here three days early. And they want this scientist that he's got. Oh, God. His name is, is Gralic. Do you remember what happened when Enterprise showed up three days early to Dr. Apgar's lab? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it was a bad, my God. It was a real bad scene. <laughs> and it went so bad. I cannot wait, Matthew, to take that episode apart. <laughs> it can't be long. It's this season. I know I know what's coming up. We're close. Uh, this, I mean, we're doing so good on TNG. We're in such a good run. I'm so pumped. It is... You can do it. Three weeks from oh, now. Oh, man. Three weeks out. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to get us distracted, but that's what happens in that episode. Yeah, anyway, showing up three, three days early is bad news. Yeah. Um, so they start looking for this old boy. His name is Gralic or whatever. Ar- Archer leads him out of his home, and they go into a forest, and some droids 
the Echo Papa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the models of the Echo Papa for sure. Why can't I remember the name of the Echo Papa model? Because um, you're not on Memory Alpha. Because your computer can't handle it and mine can. Anyway, some seeker droids go looking for him. They blow one up. The other one gets away. But it turns out, I guess it doesn't have a good picture of Archer on it or anything. Because they don't know anything about it. Mm, there's the Echo Papa 607. 607 is the one I wanted, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gralic leads them to some caves to take cover. Uh, Trip tries to test fire the rifle, but it just blows up. It just blows up. Yeah, again, this whole so that, that whole B plot end. is just I mean, it wasn't nothing. a dead end. Flox figured out a way to neutralize the Zindi weapons with a like a lot of delta radiation, but delta radiation's bad for humans, so who cares? Yeah, even Trip's like, well, okay, keep it in mind. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, at this point, uh, Gralic has pretty much come around to Archer's side now. Right. Because he's known him for a day, and he's been yelled at and had a gun pointed <laughs> at him, and he's seen a piece of twisted metal. Right, I'm sure Archer told him all about his dad, probably. So they cook up a plan, and... Uh, Gralic goes to the plant to talk to the reptilians and Degra and bluff them while, uh, well, while Archer has a sample mod of chemocyte modified so that they'll be able to track the Zindi, mm-hmm. and they put it on board their ship. Oh, also, I think he does something to the rest of the chemocyte so it won't work. That would be helpful. I think that, but they don't ever say what, and they never show it, so I don't know what he did, but something. Yeah, Gray looks like, uh, I'll do this part of the process, you other lab techs, you do this other part, and I guess we're supposed to assume something's going on with it. But. Right. And while uh, Archer's trying to sneak in and out of the ship to, to plant the tracer, uh, Gralic has to stall Degra so he can get away. So he uses that opportunity to ask him, hey, what's all this chemocyte for? And, uh... Degra's pretty upfront about it. Yeah. He says, yeah, listen, there's an alien race. They're a threat to all Zindi. We're building a weapon, etc. Uh, they get on board their ship and the ship fucks off. Archer and Gralic say goodbye and the Enterprise uh, leaves. Uh, they lose the they lose the tracking signal right away. Yeah. And then they uh, start searching again. Great. <laughs> what was this one about? I love that. It's such a great ending. They go through this whole plan and then it's just like, Nothing. Um, stay with me here. I had no race or nation is a monolith. Sure. Uh, I feel like this is an odd message for Star Trek because they usually treat these things the exact opposite way. Like, normally, each nation or race is exactly a monolith. Well, I mean, don't worry. They do it in this episode, too. Yeah. So it's actually quite welcome when it is The message proposed. is good. Yes. Uh, This could also be an important step toward uh, seeing your opponents as more than fodder to be killed off, and so it's actually useful, especially post-9-11. Have to keep it in mind. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about how this episode fits into the post-9-11 universe. We will, after I tell you I gave it a 9. Ooh! Now we can talk talk about it. (sighs) Think about it! There must be higher love. Yeah. But only one higher there score. must be. Um, Ben's... Oh, nine. Yeah. Ben's take on this is we're not really so different when it comes to right and wrong. Uh, it's, it's bullshit, but it just so happens that the one dude Archer befriends has the same moral compass. He thinks this works poorly in sci-fi, where if you want to show someone who has a different perspective, you just look at uh, an alien. 
like you use an alien to introduce that idea. Yeah, but I never like that idea. I don't like that. I don't like it when they do that. I don't like it when they're like, Klingons are like this. You're like, Yeah, okay. I, I know. And you get to all uh, Trandoshans are bounty hunters. Right, you get right. Blarg and all them. Right. Blarg. Uh, he gives it a two. Ouch. Uh, I'm I'm halfway here. So, like, uh, I, uh, my take is the enemy are not monsters. Okay. Unless they're reptilian Zindi. Even the other guys don't like them. <laughs> yes. The insectoids, I think, are also not, not regarded well. Yeah, so like, yeah, the insectoids too. The the takeaway from this episode is not all people in a culture have the same goals or are willing to commit the same acts of violence, right? Yep. But everything Gralic says about the other Zindi cuts against it. Yes, so because he comes considers... off as super wishy-washy. That's correct. So he's like, uh, we're not all the same. Some of us are this race and some of us are that race. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, so within the races, you're still, you guys are just the same. Yeah. <clears throat> So I only gave it four points because I, I felt like the take was equivocating. Right. Like kind of maybe we are, maybe we aren't. So say say it stronger next time. But I think we all agreed that this episode is working in the same area. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel it did, though? Uh, I gave it a four. Okay. The episode itself mostly works. Like, we probably don't need the alien rifle nonsense. No. And it seems like Trip has no idea when it's appropriate to carry out little experiments or go mining for Trillium D. No. Because he's always doing some shit when uh, the people on the surface maybe could use help. I don't know. Or they might, they might at a moment's notice need it. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't wait until there's a mission, a critical mission happening off, off ship to, uh, to do hobbies. That's right. Stay at your station. If you got something that's not too engrossing, do that. Yeah, it's okay to read a book, like if you're off duty or something. But maybe don't, maybe don't start experimenting with weapons. Yeah, in case in case it blows up. The core of the episode with Archer and, and Gralic coming to trust each other, I think, is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we could also have skipped the forest hunt. Yep, that does nothing. <clears throat> yep. And also the Council of Monsters intro. How dare you? No, I won't accept that. Well, if you're not going to have the, like... Oh, Dolphin <laughs> if Boy? the dolphins yeah. don't show up, no, I what are we doing? You're, no, you're right, you're right. Without Dolphin Boy, there isn't any need. <laughs> I uh, want to kill the humans as much as you do. <laughs> I don't have confidence that Archer won't be stuffing people into airlocks next week. Sure. But so far, it seems like he is arcing back towards Star Trek values. Yeah, like maybe and, he didn't have it in him for the long haul. Well, so I think it is possible when we as we get deeper into this arc that what the what this dumb arc is doing is trying to show people that even after a big terrorist attack, you should still hold to your values. Yeah. And they're just taking the long way around with like Trip and Archer really want to kill everybody at first. I mean, basically just having conversations where, like, we're going to kill anything we have to. And so, like, you know, the the characters are going to learn the lesson and we, the viewers, are going to learn a lesson. Right. Um, We'll see how that goes. Sure. Uh, one thing, though, if we're going to introduce the idea of an <laughs> arms manufacturer finally coming to terms with what he's been doing... Can we do it a little more? Oh, you wanted it to be more about the military-industrial complex or whatever? 
Well, it's like at the end. The this, morality this, of yeah, making this weapons. This guy's like, I've been making chemocide for 40 years. It has many uses. It's, it's got a lot of uses. They use it for all kinds of stuff, and most of it is not the important stuff. You know what it is. You know what the important one is. It's weapons. Yeah, and then Archer's going to be like, uh, well, they killed 7 million people on Earth, and now this guy's going to uh, all of a sudden betray yeah. his people? Maybe his all five remaining Zindi species? Yeah. Just like... It couldn't hurt. Like, they buried all that stuff deep, deep in here so we can have a scene where Phlox plays with grubs. That's all I'm saying about this. That's why it's a four for me. Oh, yeah, the other actors had to get paid or whatever. Right. Like, I'm in this episode. Um... I'm guessing you probably liked it more than a four, though. Okay, uh, Ben had it as a four as well. He said, uh, so these Zindi don't know what they're making all this chemocide for, and the Enterprise wants to fuck up their shit. Uh, after the tete-a-tete, the main dude says, I'm sure I'll help you. Uh, I hate the warmongering assholes. Maybe it's true, maybe not, but Archer thinks uh, a better idea is just to kidnap the dude and run away. It's true that Archer doesn't take his first offer Yeah, to help. He, yeah, well, they're not sure if they can trust him yet. They have to have a forest adventure first. Um, yeah, and then he asks, like, why would anyone do this? The sabotage thing. Um, anyway, so he only had it as a four. I only had it as a four. Um, despite Greylick himself believing the various Cindy races individually are a monolith, he at least proves to Archer that you, you always assume your opponents are a united front. But they're often right. just as divided and messed up as you are. Um, Reed and the Mako second-guessing Archer helps, too, because it helps reinforce that just like we uh, aren't always on the same page, they probably aren't either. Um, now it remains to be seen if the writers really follow up on this idea about the Zindi, or if next week it'll be different. That's the big thing, is that at this point, it's hard to believe them, Right. Yeah, I mean, well, they've because we've seen five different things already in this arc. Yeah, they've been shown at times, like, arguing within the council or whatever. <clears throat> but, like, what about within the individual communities, the individual races of the Zindi or whatever? Will we see any arboreals disagreeing with each other or reptilians squabbling amongst themselves? That would be a, probably a better example. Um, I can't figure out what the B-plot was for. I don't know what it was for. What was it about? Nothing. Uh, it's the second worst B-plot of the week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, Archer started off uh, as insane with rage, throw them in the airlock Archer, but then showed a lot of restraint as it went along, and that was a rare treat. And um, unfortunately, like you said, even the A-plot didn't really lead to much because they lose that signal like right away. Yeah. So it's... A-plot wasn't... and didn't end up being for much. B-plot wasn't for much. So it, it was just a four for me. Yeah, at this point, Archer has lost his chance to destroy the chemocyte. Yeah. And he's not able to track it. Yeah, he did a F So he, he really stuffed this one up, huh? Yeah. Uh, world building. Chemocyte, a multiphasic, there's that word again, isotope with many uses. It's like the Klonpeaks of the Expanse. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what science is like in the future, but Phlox can't like wear some damn gloves when he's handling that, that grub or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't know nothing about that. Why is he touching He's it? He's just rubbing it all over himself. Uh, Greylick views the various indie races uh, as sort of having, again, monolithic identities like everyone else in Star Trek. Um, there was a sixth Zindi race, the Avians. There was a big old war between the races. 
uh, the insectoids and reptilians fucking blew their planet to shit in order to win the thing, I guess. And all the avians died and everyone else scattered throughout the expanse. Um, the biomechanical components in the Zindi reptilian guns. <clears throat> we probably talked about this, but humans must have mastered the bioscanner pretty early on. It's only, uh, yeah. it's only 2150 or whatever, but they can easily detect and distinguish life forms all over the goddamn place. Yeah, that is really one of the more advanced pieces of tech on Enterprise. Uh, those dumb reptilian recon drones. There was some useful background about the Zindi, who are obviously a major player in this show, so I think I have to award points. I gave it a five. I am a... You know, I had it as a three, but I think it's a four. Uh, you covered You covered pretty much everything... Uh, this is most of the stuff we learn is about the the Zindi Civil War and their internal dynamics here. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I don't feel like I don't feel like we learned if Archer. So, like, this would have been an opportunity in this episode to reveal if Archer had specific orders from Starfleet because he is making a decision not to destroy this facility, right? And uh, Hayes and Reed maybe don't think that's the best idea, but, like, what are his actual orders? What is he really here to do? It, well, if anything, this reinforces that his orders are extremely vague. Yeah. And that he has uh, broad discretionary powers to see this thing through, however. Like, maybe they sent him out in anger and hadn't thought it through? Maybe that could be. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a four... Um... Ben's uh, Ben's a three. He doesn't know if they had if we knew about chemocyte or not. I don't think we heard about chemocyte. No, we heard a lot about trillium D before this. This chemocyte thing's new. Why would Zindi have different tech depending on the species? I guess uh, that civil war thing kind of plays into it. They're sort of like a federated group of nations, is what it seems yeah. like. He's a three for characterization. Uh. He says Archer's now worried about throwing the first punch in this for sure war. Yeah, I mean, they've already and been attacking each other. This thing's already open. He likes dumb plans. He's going to be the solo commando on that Zindi shuttle. He thinks it was dumb. Yeah, uh, dumb and the same I, as episode from one on, episode one on, where he's always been solo commando. That is true. I'm a point better. I, I gave it a four. Archer's fine. He even feels a little bit Federation-y this week. Right. Sort of like he's, you know, the Federation doesn't exist yet, but he's sort of moving in that direction. Yeah. Everyone else is on Little League rules, though. Uh, except Mayweather, who's just missing. <laughs> he's such a nice boy, though. I can't... He, doesn't need, he doesn't even get a hand in this week. Can't they do anything for him? Especially after that stuff we heard last week about how Hoshi might have a thing for him, maybe. So he's like definitely her best friend on the ship. Yeah, maybe give him some play. Seems like, it's rude. Um, I'm a four. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Archer nixes the assault of this lab in favor of a real complicated infiltration. That's a choice. Not sure it aligns with their stop the Zindi at all costs mantra, but that's fine. Um, Archer starts to come off as a real hard ass with this guy but he manages to win the dude over. Um, 
Reed wants to fucking raise the mission accomplished banner 10 minutes into this episode. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's like, we did it. Congratulations, sir. You've won a great victory. <laughs> it's like, what? We just found this facility on this planet. Like, this is uh, uh, 1% of our mission. Also, they did nothing. A weird telepath contacted Hoshi in space. <laughs> That's right. And if anything, that was that was more complex than it needed to be. They should they should have done better on that one too. Um, Reed also finally bonds with this Mako, but it's over Archer's decision making. Um, Flocks and Tucker are having a good old time reverse engineering this rifle. Yeah, it's a it's a four for me. Do you have some quick hitters? I think so. Again, did you know this was like a cliffhanger or something? I got the skip recap option because Netflix thought that was helpful for me, and I was very glad. No, yeah, my first quick hitter was previously on. I took advantage of that. I pushed skip recap. I don't want to see that guy anymore. Enterprise is already the shortest of the shows, and so getting to cut another two minutes? Yeah. But like what? Now it's Game of Thrones or whatever where there's a recap before each episode because it's so incredibly dense that we won't know what's up. Anyway. Um, how are they supposed to test a bioweapon on an uninhabited planet? They're going to kill a bunch of space bugs and call it a go? Because remember... I, is the chemocyte for the bioweapon well, or the laser? And this bro? is what I wanted to get into. Remember that there was a big hubbub about switching to a bioweapon not that long ago. Oh, I think they're doing both now. Okay, so they're just doing they're doing both weapons. Yeah, I think the I think that the second meeting of the Council of Monsters decided they had to do both. Okay, all right. And then when I heard Greylick's voice, I knew immediately it was Nudak City. Oh yeah. It was also, as soon as he started talking, I went, "Oh, Nudak." We'll skip right to it. I gave him best actor for sure. <laughs> He's the best. Best in the biz. He's uh he doesn't know the Klingon swears so good. He most, no. mostly sticks to Topaw. He doesn't land Topaw real well either, <laughs> no. frankly. It's the only one he knows that he's not good at it. <laughs> but he's good in this episode. Yeah, that's all I had. Um, What in the fuck is a sub-quantum imprint? Mm. What does sub-quantum mean? Uh, in the future, we discover... So there's some even smaller <laughs> yes, shit? there's a sub-quantum realm. Okay. Well, this one's got a sub-quantum imprint that they can scan in 2150 that tells them it's the Zindi. Cool. Cool. I wish someone would say out loud, everything about these guys is gross. Because <laughs> they just, they do it with their faces every once in a while. Sure. But like, you mean the reptilians or just all of them? I mean, the reptilians particularly, yeah. yes. I mean, they wouldn't be wrong. Then, as you pointed out, it's Nudak, but I wrote, getting real, your finger was a gun vibes off of Greylick here. <laughs> that would have been an interesting play if they'd gone with old man uh, James Earl Jones. <sighs> Has he ever done a Star Trek? I don't think so. I think he did the Star Wars, and then, like, people wouldn't leave him alone about it. He probably stayed away from the sci-fi after that, right? He did a couple of baseballs, because was... he did Field of Dreams, and he did um, The Sandlot. Ah, oh, there you go, so. Maybe he just likes baseball. Could be. Well, he doesn't even remember thinking it. <laughs> I didn't say that. I don't even recall thinking it. <clears throat> but then he did say it. Anyway, it doesn't Yeah, matter. he said it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, let's do Field of Dreams. Let's do that instead. 
that's just there so there's a can be a minute where he like is real spooky and he just starts saying stuff out. <laughs> he just stands in front of the like, bus what? and goes moonlight gram yeah exactly <laughs> great um, film let's do that let's skip the rest of this episode let's we just do feel the dreams, the dreams. <laughs> i don't have any notes but i remember the whole thing <laughs> Uh, well, when you get on the Field of Dreams wiki, uh, fan wiki and your computer doesn't blow up, <laughs> oh, it'll, yeah. it'll really bring it all back. All of the wikis are available to me now. These uh, secret droids these old boys have, they're pretty useless, huh? Well, They go down to one shot or they don't. Yeah, if you shoot them in the back, there, it seems like they're better shielded back there. Uh, they don't take a good enough picture to identify Archer. Even though it is like, clearly not an arboreal or anything. Whatever that reptilian dude's name was, he just had no idea Archer and crew were even there. No, again, I don't understand how they're so bad at things. Like, the Enterprise is just up there floating around. Like, how do you not see this? Then I wrote, uh, these canisters are like mutagen. Is that why the Zindi are all a bunch of rock studies and bebops? <laughs> That's right, they were stayed too close to some apes and some fucking lizards and shit. Yep. And then they accidentally got the ooze dropped on them when they were living in the sewer, because they were poor. Do you think... Archer left that piece of the probe behind when they went into the forest. Yeah, that would be kind of a giveaway. We didn't see what he did with it. <laughs> no, hopefully he didn't. And I don't know if you feel this way, but it's always weird to me when the show remembers that the transporter exists. Like, they used it about three times in this episode. Yeah, like when the rifle's about to blow And now, now I'm wondering when up. they fixed it. After it got all the rocks? You get it? We talked about it. You know how much work that's going to take. Just like, there are rocks they, all in that thing. They're here in the fucking expanse. How do they... I don't know, man. Where'd they get the parts? Where's Voyager gonna get Did all they, those shuttles? I don't know. They made new plexiglass to go all around it and shit? Seems like it. They fabbed it, man. Man. I can't believe that was high priority. Well, they got a, I guess they, the, trans, the transporter could be useful. They got a, a good operation going there. It's better than their, their Trellium D lab. Yeah. I gave best actor to Greylick and worst actor to Reptile Man. I don't never did catch his name. Scary Monster. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Dave. Uh, Ben's only quick hitter. Uh, Trip knocks into that crewman when he runs by and puts him down so far hard he falls and lies there unmoving. <laughs> he sold it like a wrestling move. Yep, he did. He didn't want to have to get up and be like, oh, that guy's technically in command right now. I don't want to. I'm not going to make it a thing. It's going to be a whole thing. We'll let it go for the nap for just for now. Also, he was running by with a whining weapon. Like, maybe. That's right. So I'll just, I'll just stay down you know, here. I'm just going to think for a if, while. I feel pretty safe down here on the ground. If things blow up, I want to be low to the ground, I think. It'll yeah. blow up at his height. Um, that it? Well, that is it. Nice. Third place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Life Support. I don't know if my Indian food burp came through. Did it? Did you hear it? Only time will tell. Okay. Matt, I read a review uh, that was of Enterprise. That were in in which someone left a comment saying that their least favorite theme song was the Deep Space Nine theme song. What are they? I couldn't believe it. That's wild. It's got all the horns feel just right, just right. Yep. Jake, <clears throat> you know Jake. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen him in a couple weeks, always, but I guess he's still around. It's a good sign. Jake is seeing a new girl, uh, Lisa Turtle. Just the girl. 
Well, his other girl went to college, and then that whole thing with Kira didn't pan out. But he's seeing Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell. It is Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell, yes, it is. Who seems slightly more age-appropriate, but now that I know that she was on Saved by the Bell for like 10 years, probably not. Um, Anyway, uh, Odo and his security team go rushing past these two uh, to get to the docking ring. There's been an accident on a Bajoran transport. Uh, Kai, yep. Kai Wynn comes out unharmed. Weird that they didn't know she was on the way. Um, yeah. But the the status of Vedic Barayal... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've said status of... I have written here, but the statue of Vedic Barayal has been wounded. I, yep. I should have read that better. <laughs> it's got one of those bleeding miracle statues. I stepped on my own joke. Credits. <clears throat> Kai Wynn suggests that the accident may have actually been uh, sabotage and asks to talk to Cisco alone about it. In the infirmary, Bashir is hard at work trying to stabilize Barail's life signs, but it ain't going well. Yeah, he's in bad shape. Wynn tells Cisco she and Barail were on their way to open negotiations with the Cardis. And uh, somebody may have caught wind of it, which might be unpopular. Um, Bashir goes out to break the news to Kira that Barail didn't recover. By the way, oh, sorry, you just said Barail died. But by the way... <laughs> uh, that is the last time the idea that it might have been sabotage will be mentioned. Yep. Now, uh, uh, I think O'Brien's like, I don't know, maybe. Probably not, though. <laughs> That's it. Uh, and uh, Kira, after hearing the news, goes off to ops to grieve in her own way. Bashir goes back to begin the autopsy, but finds that Brile's nervous system is still functioning. Since he's been in stasis this whole time, Bashir tries again to revive him. He now succeeds, which makes the last few minutes kind of pointless. Yeah, And Wynn says that they must... Oh, but don't worry. We didn't learn anything in the last few minutes, even about Kira. That's right. Yeah, she goes off to grieve alone. We don't know what's going on with her. We don't see any of that. Uh, he succeeds, and then Wynn comes in and says that they must continue the negotiations with Cardassia immediately, or risk losing momentum. Uh, Bashir ends up agreeing under medical supervision. Meanwhile... Jake and Nog are running into best friends issues. Do I have to keep describing this D plot? Just do the D plot mad <clears throat> quick because it don't it never inter inter, inter ooh, acts with the with the A plot. Oh, this could definitely be an A plot A plot B plot quiz because you we we haven't played that game on this because you would never know that this plot was connected to the other one. <clears throat> yeah. So I'll just wrap it up here. They're having cultural and best friend issues regarding dating and etiquette, and in the end, they agree to just be buddies and not let that stuff get in the way anymore. Okay. Yep. Bashir comes by to tell Barail that um, he's in some trouble. He isn't really fully recovering, and he really needs to... Now that I think about it, he needs to join the Borg Collective. But Yeah. Um, <laughs> he really needs to skip these negotiations uh, and focus on recovery, but... Well, Bashir technically wants to put him into stasis to give him, like, just ten minutes to just read some articles about this. Yeah, he really need to do some research. <laughs> but Barail chooses to keep working because the mission is uh, really important. Bashir gets him on some experimental drugs that may work and may also kill him in other ways. In the Guess which one? That's right. In the negotiations, the Cardi rep proposes that they would be willing to pay war reparations in exchange for a return of Cardassian property. Uh, he's after something in particular, but Wynn says uh, she can't figure it out. Um, Barail is giving Wynn some advice, but starts to come apart. Win won't let it go, but Bashir tells her that uh, she's got to leave the room so he can, so he can save Barail. 
Bashir visits Wynn later and asks her to tell Varyal she doesn't need him anymore, but because she's Kai Wynn, she refuses. Right. Um, Bashir deduces that she wants Varyal around as a scapegoat in case the talks fail. Varyal's now in bad, bad shape, and the only thing left in Bashir's toolbox is like a weird old robot brain or something to replace the dying one. Yeah, he's got to give him some positronic implants up in his noggin. Wynn and Akira say yes to Robo Varyal for different reasons, and it's officially on. I think when he wakes up, he's supposed to be more wooden, but since that's impossible with this actor... <laughs> bad choice. It's hard. It's a bad choice. Hard to tell that there's a difference. Like, they should have known if they're going to do that, they got to go all the way to, like, Max Headroom <laughs> with him. Right. It's got to be, like, doing a weird mechanical stutter. <laughs> My name is Vanek Varyal! Oh, he could never be able right. to pull that off. Um, in, in fact, you can sort of tell that they didn't trust him to do it either because he says a lot of shit that ordinarily they wouldn't say. Like, he's just like, everything feels different. Everything, everything feels different, like a, a memory of a touch. And you're like, okay, great. We get it. Uh, the peace treaty is eventually signed with Cardassia. So that seems cool. Uh, Cisco claims it's a big ass deal. Um, Quark even names a dessert after her, after Kai Wynn. Just looks like a. Just looks like a cake with, that's badly frosted. Just a badly frosted cake. It's true. They couldn't even like. It's just uneven. It's just an unevenly frosted cake. They couldn't even like get like a cool baker to to make. Oh, a it fucking good looks cake. like I made that cake. Seriously. Then, by the way, that is my worst skill is frosting a cake. Yeah. <laughs> a cake. No, and no one's good at it. One of our li- one of our listeners is good at it, but no one's good at it. The people on the fucking British baking show are pretty good at it. Hey, how come there's not another season of that yet? How long has it been? I'm fucking know. mad about it. Um, I don't know. I'd watch ten more. Bashir gets called to the infirmary. Barile is dying, and Bashir refuses to replace the rest of his brain with robot parts. Now Wynn agrees with Bashir that this is the end of the road, because obviously, like, she's she's got what she needs. So Kira decides to stay with him till the end, because... Uh, they were lovers. That's it, right? That's the episode? Yeah. What was this one f- uh, about? What, about? what were they trying to say? Well, it's fucking called life support. And this is about... At some point, you you need to cease medical intervention and allow a person to die. Oh. Bashir makes kind of a ship of Theseus argument here. That at some point, like, whatever he's got left isn't going to be Barile anymore. Right. But, like... Uh, we don't we don't need all like this. We don't need damage to anything other than his brain for this story. He didn't have to have robot organs first. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, this is science fiction of the projecting today's technology forward type. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I also think it's a Star Trek take. Okay. That you just sort of at some point you have to accept death. Uh. And we've had, like, five of these in the news since this episode came out. Like, this definitely continues. It's not an issue that we think about all the time. But we get a Terry Schiavo or some five-year-old kid with a totally smooth brain whose parents wants to take him somewhere. Right. For some experimental procedure. We get these all the time. They're just not constantly in the news. So, uh, I think it's a Star Trek take. I think it's doing good science fiction work. I think putting it in science fiction shelters you from having to think about the real people involved. Right. So I gave it seven points. Okay. Um, I had, uh, is this about Bashir's responsibilities to like the essence of a patient's life and personality? Is it about Barile's motivations or the ruthlessness of politicians? 
sort of all of them. But I guess I'd say the majority of this episode is Bashir's struggle. So I had uh, a doctor's responsibilities go beyond the mere facts of life and death. Bashir must weigh a patient's wishes, those of his loved ones, the quality of life that will remain after the treatment, and many other things. To me, it was sort of a factual statement about doctors, but I guess it's good to keep in mind about about what their responsibilities really include, especially in the fictional universe where these kinds of things are always dropped in their lap, just constantly. Like, <clears throat> in, in most cases, they just tell patients in real life, here's the deal. And the patients don't know anything, and they just go, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, most of the time. <laughs> but these do happen from time to time. So, um, for me, it was a five. Uh, how do you think they executed? Um, this would have been a better episode if it was about somebody we cared about. Because Brile, really. But that also has the advantage of using somebody expendable. So we can either see them die and how that affects the Doctor and Kira and everybody else, or they can live and we don't have to worry about next week when they're just fine for some reason. They could just not be on the show. Right. <clears throat> so they chose the former. He dies. Um, Bashir goes further in this road down turning him into some kind of weird old monster, I think, than like Dr. Crusher would, for example. Yes. I get the feeling that unless... Um, Unless Crusher was being written weirdly for the for a, a certain episode, she would have booted Kai Win way earlier and refused to kill this dude's organs and make him a cyborg and shit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this episode is ethics with a killable character. Yes. But I still think it showed Bashir weighing all the options and everything and really having a hard time with it. So, um, it was really it was fine. The B plot though. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. Not that there aren't valuable lessons about cultural tolerance or whatever, but man, these actors can't pull this material off, and it's hard to watch. It's like... Uh, it's very hard to watch. I don't want to watch... Tell a girl to chew his food or whatever. Right. Cut up his food. I'm not here to, like, hang out with the Ferengi, you know? I'm tired of hanging out with the Ferengi. <laughs> Can I just say that? Yeah. Sure. It, we've got a while to go before we get to Little Green Man. <laughs> So for me, it was, I actually gave it a six. Uh, I'm just on the other side of average here. I'm a four. Okay. So the B story doesn't belong in this episode. Yeah, it's literally just a rando. Uh, and it, but it, like, the ideas in the B story deserve a more interesting look than they're given here. Yeah, the... I feel like the like this clash of cultures with very different values is fertile Star Trek ground, but not this version of it. No. And then Kira wanders in and out of this episode without any indication of what she's going through yeah. during all of this. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like, what a surprise! Kira is not involved in an episode she absolutely should be involved in. It's just like the main thing about Deep Space Nine is Kira should be maybe the most important character, mm-hmm. and. But mostly she just has to read up on Trill Law. Yes, she's often absent unless she's in being an investigator this week or something. Right. So it would have been better to spend time there than with Jake and Nog also. That would have been Just good. like on Kira. Maybe we could have seen, in terms of cultural differences, maybe there are different ways that she goes about her grieving process or decision-making process or something. You uh, could have linked them if you wanted to still go after that for the B-plot. Also, the... Um, 
Bajor and Cardassian negotiations are potentially a lot more interesting than what we see on the screen. Oh, they make it sound like a big deal, but we only see one scene of it and it's not much. Yeah, so we have three potentially interesting episodes and only one is explored. And everything's real-time compressed. Yes. The treaty, the extensive medical procedures, everything has to take place within like a couple of days in this episode. Yeah. Like if... Uh, I know that Boreal is supposed to have laid the groundwork for this I was this just treaty, about to say that. Yeah, that's how they kind of soft foot this, this whole thing. And they're like, well, he's been working on it for a while. He's been doing some Spock uh, Pardek stuff for a while here. Yeah. So I gave it a four. Okay. Ben. Twin five. Uh, whose take, by the way, is uh, working for the common good is super duper important. <laughs> so he took Boreal's uh, motivations then as the take. Is also a five on execution. He says, for such large political importance, this story is very tightly focused on a few people. And then uh, he says the story is very depressing. He says he wasn't depressed because he hates Beryl, but the story was a depressing type of story. <laughs> yeah. Also, it buried the huge news for the sector, this peace treaty. So yeah. it's sort of the same complaint. But he's a five, so I guess he, he felt like the episode still sort of worked. Yeah, because the part... I mean, we all sort of feel that way, that yes, it kind of works. that part worked. The part where you have to, to go all through all the medical stuff. It was sort of like a medical procedural where you had to weigh motivations and everything. But, like, all the other stuff I mean, like, is in it and not enough to be useful. This is a weird thing to say, but Bashir sort of carries this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it helps that he's playing off against uh, Kai Wynn. Yeah. Who is a very good villain. She's good at smiling and saying mean stuff. Yes. Yeah, so twin fives uh, from Ben. Yeah, twin fives from Ben on the on the top. Uh, he's a three in world building. Okay. There are still Bajorans held in Cardi prisons. A weird vasoconstriction disease. You can replace a person's brain with a positronic matrix now. Uh, I'm also... Uh, no, sorry, I am a five. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's some little stuff. Loose plasma coil prevents beaming. That autopsy helmet. Yeah. The drug vasican. This positronic brain stuff, though, we've apparently have come quite quite some ways since uh, Measure of a Man. Well, I even have in my world building. Is this Maddox's work? Like, who's doing this? Yeah. It'd be wild if uh, Bashir, who at this point has met Data. Oh, yeah. They spend some time together on the on the TNG side together. of the yeah. uh, crossover. We haven't seen it yet. We won't we won't get there until the year twenty twenty two. It's so de- that's depressing, Ben. That's depressing. Well, and honestly, it uh, it's about a year a season. Uh, well, actually, we don't get through a full no. Season it would be year. cool if we could. There are just and enough weeks a, we miss that we don't really do it. That mid season six. Uh yeah, must be when data dreams. It's season so, six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're probably three to four years. So yeah, let's say twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, somewhere in that time frame. <laughs> that's, we get to that episode. So horrifying. Uh, and then the Cardassian Bajoran Treaty and Kai win. So like, their stuff is moving along in this one. They're doing world building. It's just uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave it a five. Um, I had some of the same stuff. The loose plasma coil and the ensuing radiation prevents transport. Uh, political, diplomatic wrangling and treaty with the Cardis. The radiation fortified Barile's nervous system in some way, I guess? Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. But it's okay, no one knew what that meant. Experimental drug Vasican. The armistice talks four years ago dealt with Cardassian property left behind on Bajor. 
Uh, positronic brain implants, Maddox's work, Ferengi women chew their food for the males, or chew food for the males, um, and other gross Ferengi stuff. Um, for me it was a four. Okay. How do you think this episode did, uh, on its characters? This feels like this should be the strong point of the episode, given that it was some kind of medical drama. Um... Again, Beryl was on, like, a Spock-like mission to Cardassia. Uh, real gung-ho about dying for this shit. Wynn claims she's gained much respect for Beryl over the last year, but she clearly values the mission over his life, decides to use him up for these negotiations. And she seems hopeless in these negotiations? Like, her political ruthlessness doesn't extend to the boardroom, I guess? She seems real quivery and, like, unsure about what's going on. I don't know if that's all an act to put it all on Beryl so that if it fails, but, like, wouldn't it be better if it succeeds as plan A? Yeah, Bashir accuses her of this, right? Mm-hmm. That Beryl is her backup plan in case this doesn't go well. But I do feel like the scenes where she is overwhelmed and so suddenly playing out of her league, right. are they seemed real to me. And I don't know that it was all an act. I think that the character of Kai Wynn is fast enough to take advantage of someone. Yeah. Even if that's not plan A. Okay. So that's, so that's that was my question. Like, is this an act or is she actually just not great at this? You know, there's no way to know for sure. But the, the way that was the impression that I got from it. Uh, Kira needs to work in order to grieve properly, like distract herself, so she assumes her duties after Beryl's death. She's also willing to make Beryl a full-on sex bot to save him, but that didn't, I guess that didn't happen. Uh, Bashir seems to have stalked his medical staff with people who will stand up to him, which is good, because this lady is second-guessing him the whole time, this this nurse. Uh, I mean, if you ever hear someone in Star Trek say the word Cordrazine... (laughs) It's just so the nurse can say, are you fucking serious? Go, Doctor. Um, and this nurse is just doing it, pulling an Ogawa here. That's right. She for sure would say, are you a cordrazine? Well, as long as she, I said, as long as she doesn't just hate him and challenge him on everything, then it's a good move by Bashir to get someone who will question him or whatever. Uh, Bashir eventually refuses to go full lowbot on Beryl. <laughs> or has he already gone lowbot on him? I'm not sure how far lowbots... You know what? Let's not talk about Lobot. Let's not open that that box. <laughs> talk about a third rail. <laughs> yeah, that's a real third rail is Lobot. Just want to start talking about Lobot. Uh, we're going to get four minutes on Lobot from Body. In, uh, not next week's. He's already sent in next week's, but for oh, episode that's right. 140. He likes the Star Wars better, so he would have something to say about yeah. Lobot, I'm sure. I bet he's got something to say about answer Lobot. Answer my question on whether or not that's a family name. Um, that's, a good, that's a good point. Nog, uh, Nog is in the show again, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, he thinks women are better than money. He should keep that quiet around his family. I don't think that's how they think about things. Uh, he's got his own Ferengi way of doing things and considers Jake a dating rookie despite that busty young Dabo girl spinning his wheel on the regular. Um, <laughs> and That's a charming analogy. Nog is gross to the ladies. Jake thinks Nog is gross, but he also knows it's just a cultural difference. Uh, he's a nice boy, you know? Cisco is barely in this episode, and as always, his best scene is with Jake over dinner, trying to convince Jake to get over his differences with Nog. Well, I mean, it's kind of his only scene. He's he's he in the boardroom. He yeah. but, like, he fucks off pretty quick. And he's, like, in the celebration, he's there. 
Um, it's like it's like how Picard was super happy to bounce from the bars on wormhole negotiation <laughs> as soon as the Ferengis showed up. It's like went, oh, you can have my chair, this. and also I'm done with this. I'm thing. never coming back. Uh, Odo is hella bored, I guess, just helping Jake with this holding cell fiction. Uh, I didn't describe yeah, it. They but... don't. They don't treat us at all to anything about how Odo feels about Vedic Barao potentially dying. Yeah, um, I didn't describe it, but basically Jake has Odo lock him and Nog up in a holding cell so they can talk out their differences, and Odo's just into it. I don't know why. Yeah, like he should like have better stuff to do. Maybe investigate. Maybe whether that was the sabotage on that shuttle. Something. I don't know. Um. Quark names a dessert after Kai Win, so he's getting paid for this episode. Just like when he sent that communique when they were at Earth. <laughs> oh, and by the way, did not pay off. There was not a scene at the end of part two nope. where Cisco went to talk about getting spring in the Grand Negus's nephew. No, it was clearly I it's he just shows up at the in the last scene or in the first scene to be like, Quark's here. And then that's it. Don't forget about Quark. Um this felt extremely straight down the line. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. For me, it was a five. Ah, I liked it less than that. Okay. I gave it three. Boom. So, th- I think this episode works better if some part of Bashir is excited to try new therapies Ooh. so that he learns you have to let the patient go. Yeah. But unfortunately, he gets there before the episode starts, and he's just kind of, the whole episode, he's doing shit he doesn't want to. You're right, if he was like, because we already know he loves to get fucking published. Right. If he was like, ooh, this is exciting new technology. That feels so season one him, though, doesn't it? It does, and the character of Bashir has definitely grown a little bit. I think they finally realized that we don't want to tune in to watch assholes every week. He's less of a fucking creep, just walking around following Dax everywhere now. Hey, you gonna date me yet? Hey, hey, I'm talking to you. You want a date? That's what he was They haven't yet gotten to him. They haven't quite gotten to him being nice guy number two, just playing darts with O'Brien, just like a regular guy. Right. Yeah, that has not happened yet. Or his other weird twist that happens, or his other weird twist that happens. He's got some twists. So, um, anyway, they don't do that. We don't, it's such a, it's so crazy that we don't get to discover what's going on with Kira at all. Until she just gets to say goodbye in the last, they just do a, a the end of a play act where she just talks to him as the camera pulls way out. I think they've had her do that like six times already. Yeah, she, it's just she does a lot of that talking to dying people. She, so she's just not not around, and then suddenly she's just there crying. You know, fucking like, Amy Maritza, fucking that old man who was on that moon, yep. fucking uh, uh, Vedic Burial. I'm sure there have been others. And I get it. You have one actor who can probably do a crying and saying goodbye scene. Yeah. So you're gonna do it, but like, you got to set it up. I agree. You have to do. You have to do some setup work, like we talked about. And then Jake and Nog don't land with me either in this episode. Like Kira, not used in the episodes where she needs to be used, and then shows up in other ones, and you're like, "What? This didn't have to be Kira." It's very confusing how they use her. She's just fucking around with Thomas Riker. Oh my god. You know yeah, that could have been anybody. Ugh. That didn't have to be her at all. Could have been Dax. No one would have bothered. No one would have complained. Anyway. Yeah, Jake and Nog. Yeah. Anyway, they sucked, so I gave it three. Um, ben, though, is a seven. Yeah, he was a bit higher on this one. I think he liked the... They, there's a very brief reference at the beginning 
that demonstrates that Kai Wynn at least acknowledges that Cisco is the emissary. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that will come back at some point, this idea. Oh, yeah. Well, but right now it's very dormant. I think so. It is. It is something to see it kicked up again here. What's? I think it's safe to say if you were watching these in real time that we know Kai Wynn ain't going anywhere. Yeah, she definitely. She didn't has beef it on that shuttle. Of being a regular character. Yeah, they they know what they knew which one to fucking turn away in this episode. Is that we got two guest actors who keep fucking showing up, and one of them is a fucking wooden nothing. Let's kill that one. Thank God too. Uh, ben thinks that Cisco would have been a better choice to be the one who recognizes the political moves that Wynn is making. Yeah. Rather than Bashir. Yeah, but Bashir but was invested, though. There's already too much stuff happening in this story, and not enough of it is getting airtime, so... Yeah, and Ben, like you said, Bashir's invested. He's invested. We know Cisco's not. Uh, he has the same point you do. Odo's super down to falsely arrest Nog and Jake. It's just weird. Like, why wouldn't he just go, I'm not doing that. Like, what? Yeah. Go talk to your friend. Like, that's nothing to do with me. He says that he should know, that Jake should know for enough Ferengi customs to avoid doing that. But it cuts both ways. Nog has been around no Ferengi women and only Bajoran and human women. Since he was pretty young now. For a long, like for a long time I mean, now, they've been on that station he, for ages. He should be better on this date than he is. I, well, he and then in the end, he claims he he compromised that this was right. the good version. So, right, yeah, maybe. he was trying to meet Jake in the middle with this. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't ask her to chew his food; he asked her to cut up his food, yeah, etc. Um. And then, as he said, when Baral gets positronic uh, brain, it matches his acting ability. So <laughs> I couldn't better. tell the difference. His words were different, but the way he said them was exactly the same. So he's a seven on characterization. All right. And for quick hitters, he says, oh, good, Baral's going to die. Oh, damn, he didn't die. Oh, good, he did. <laughs> That's right. That's essentially the beats of the episode. Oh, think of how many scenes we're not going to have to waste on him anymore. I'm into it. I'm so happy about it. I guess we can advance the Kira Odo stuff too now. Oh, well, there's some stuff in the way, but... Honestly, it's fine. They've mostly been playing that good, so that's fine. Yeah, they can keep it slow burning for all I care. Right. Uh, Quick hitters. Should be you, right? What the fuck is is Cordrazine? (laughs) Like, I get that they're... I get that they're just running the playbook from every Dr. Crusher death scene yes. here. But at this point, I genuinely want to know why they keep Cortezine around. Is there, if, they, if you're never supposed to use is it. Is there any kind of Okuda nonsense about it? Is it, does it show up in anywhere in the Star Trek fiction that we can understand what it does and what it is? Uh, I, yeah, who knows? I'm not looking it up. Right. Uh, this is just ethics again with a killable character. I already said that. Do you want the backstory on this? Okay, go for it. They, they literally say, let's make that episode. <laughs> They wrote this episode because they had heard rumors that Colomini wanted off the show. <gasps> he was going to be the one who died. I mean, could you blame him? But it turned to uh, pursue a movie career. Yeah, but because he can actually act that, when he's not in Star Trek. That then he went to talk to them and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. So they made it Vedic Barrow. You think they would talk to him before they write the episode about his death? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you read the book. <laughs> Everyone involved. You know how these shows work. Literally 100% of the people involved in the making of Star Trek were assholes. 
Uh, up until this point, all we've ever seen is Wynn being a super good political schemer, but she can't handle this Cardassian legate. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not sure that's like, is it intentional? Like now she's playing in the big leagues. Now she got to the top of Bajor, but also Bajor what did not have autonomy for the last 50 years. Their politics is probably pretty primitive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, also you want to talk about episodes that should be made. I would like to imagine one where they split this off, this negotiations, and Kai Wynn is the major character, and we learn that even though she uh, seems like a ruthless bee, she has a very special fear of the Cardassians based on the history between the two people, right? right. and that she uh, cannot help but be overcome when she's in front of this legget. Anyway, we only got one scene, so... Yep. <clears throat> Uh, Bashir's old mentor and mentor, you know, who said that uh, uh, when the the brain, a little piece of the soul or whatever, mm. the spark of life yeah. seems a little woo woo to me. Right. <laughs> Letting this guy teach these doctors. Doesn't sound like science. This is old mentor, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> That'd be funny. I mean, she ran Starfleet Medical for a year. Yeah, maybe. When Bashir was definitely in medical school. Yeah, maybe she, maybe she gave a talk that really changed his outlook. Can we have, like, any details about this brain procedure? I would love one sentence that explains how it's possible to replace all of his brain. <laughs> Can they do an Ira Graves personality dump now? Yeah, just right into data. Just put, they were actually just going to put Brow right into the computer. He's going to live there. Like, Bash- at the end, Bashir is like, I won't do it. Which I get is a stronger stance than I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But, like... It definitely leaves open the idea that maybe it could have been done, and then how? Yeah. How though? Yes, it would be a good idea to know that, but they don't. They didn't and know like, how to write it. Like everybody else, uh, I had the same thought. This is just where I put it. How does Odo play? Why does Odo play along with this dumb scheme? Good. I'm glad we all got there because that was. I think we all saw that happen, and we went, "Why though? Why?" Yeah. Like, I get that Odo doesn't really care about paperwork and shit, no. and it's no skin off his nose to put uh, Jake and, and Nog in jail for a couple of hours, but, like... I just... I would just... I would hope he was busy. I would hope he was doing the investigation on the shuttle accident. Shouldn't he be briefing someone that clicks, clicks a plix is coming <laughs> to the station soon, and there's a telepath, so we're going to use level three telepath precautions? That's right. Like... Yeah, he's got nothing to do. He straight yeah. up it helped invent the fiction of why they got into a holding cell. Anyway. Oh yeah, that didn't sound like Jake came. Nah, up Jake doesn't know anything. This stole something from the Tholian ambassador. He's like, uh, that dude's a weird crystal bug. Odo, here's my good idea. Okay, you put me and Nog in a holding cell because we farted on the promenade, and it was a bad one. Mister Cisco. <laughs> Mister Mister Cisco. <laughs> Um, I got some, I think. Yeah, give them to me. I want them. Replace. They fuel me. Replace this sentence. It sounds like Nog's acting like a Ferengi to me. With. (laughs) It sounds like Nog (laughs) is acting like a Mexican to me. And see if that feels okay. Yeah, or, uh, hey, let's, why not go all the way to who the Ferengi really are? (laughs) Sounds like Nog's Uh, acting Jewish to me. Sounds like Nog's acting like a Jew to me. (laughs) Woof. That's what I'm saying. When Cisco said that, I went, hmm. 
come on, single dad. Like, you can do better. That's not the one. That's not it. Um, Can't say I was sad to see Burial go, and I wasn't over the moon about Nana visitors acting either, but... um, I'm I'm just I'm glad he's off the show. She was a lot better in that episode where she almost believed she had been turned in, uh, into a Cardassian <laughs> or whatever. She has such a shattered self-image. She literally didn't know. She's like, "God shit, maybe I'm a Cardassian." Who fucking knows? Oh, God. That guy half remembered my name from prison. That's right. Uh, I always have fewer no hitters than the ones where I give the descriptions. So quick hitters. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I gave best actor to Kai Wynn. Okay. Uh, perfectly hateable as always. And worst actor to Nog, and it was not close. I know this guy hasn't been in the show for 10 weeks What's or whatever, doing? but like, I don't think he's been in acting school. No. I think he's probably had to do like real summer school or something and he had to get his grades up before he could come back and do Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that could be. Hey, we're trucking through these this week. I like it. I'm glad. Um, well, oh, I guess my turn. Uh, second place last week was uh, the original series. This week we watched The Paradise Syndrome. I am Kira! Yep. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to another planet with exactly the same life forms as on Earth, but this time it's weird. Like, they marvel at it for a second or two. Anyway, they find a metal obelisk, and then they stop caring about that first thing at all. Right. Spock uh, looks at this old boy and says, it must have been created by an advanced civilization. Uh, anyway, let's not fuck around here. An asteroid is coming, and we only have 30 minutes to decide whether we're going to divert the asteroid or not. Seems weird that they had to beam down to make that determination. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like they could just say, like, there's definitely life on this planet. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, are we in the, what's the prime directive this week? Are we saving them? That's right. What is the prime directive this week? Uh, they spot a tribe of Indians living by the lake, and Spock knows by looking at them yeah. from across a lake yeah, 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 yeah. that they're Mohican, Navajo, and Delaware. And no one says, oh, those old boys aren't from the same zone. Yep, and also they're not from this planet, so... Oh, yeah, also how'd they get <laughs> That's here? That's a tough one. Um, anyway, Kirk is exhibiting a touch of what McCoy calls the Tahiti Syndrome. Hmm. Which means that he's mostly talking about how much of a paradise this place is and how great it would be if life were simple. Why didn't they name the episode that? Yes, the Tahiti Syndrome? Why'd they name it the Paradise Syndrome? Because that's what he literally says. Seems weird. They love using the name of the episode in the show. I'm confused. Uh, Well, particularly in this season, they do. Yeah. Anyway, he decides he wants to get one last look at this big old obelisk before they leave. And uh, something he does at the obelisk triggers a trap door and he falls into the underground structure and he gets hella zapped by lightning. Thanks for not spoiling what he does because it's, it's such an important reveal later on. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, I don't, they, they didn't make it clear what happened. Oh, that's true. Yeah, at the, at the moment I didn't know either. Yeah. It turns out it's dumb. Yeah. So, uh... 
when Spock and McCoy, who I guess just let him wander off, can't find Kirk. <laughs> they should know better by now. <laughs> well, especially after he's just been diagnosed as having the Tahiti syndrome. I'm a doctor, thing, not a babysitter. I thought you were watching him. A thing that Kirk doesn't have most of the time. Yes. But Captain Pike had in the pilot. Very much so. So just bear in mind that uh, Gene Roddenberry can't remember how Kirk feels about command. That's right. Anyway, they can't find him. And Spock says, well, we got to go divert the asteroid then. And McCoy wants to stay and look for Kirk because he doesn't care about those Indians and the asteroid isn't going to hit for two months. Mm. But, uh, you know, Spock's in command. Um, Kirk stumbles around and we hear his thoughts in a device that I hate. <laughs> yep. And he doesn't remember who he is or what his phaser is, etc. And he climbs out of the obelisk to the surface and there's two pretty ladies there. And they see him come out and they think, of course, he is their messiah. How much brown makeup are these ladies wearing? A lot of it. Just a lot of brown. A lot of it. It's just some blue-eyed white ladies Mm -hmm. with a lot of tan makeup on. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, uh, don't, don't, don't miss it. Kirk is Jesus emerging from the tomb to the to the two women. Oh, yeah. I didn't miss it. Okay, just make sure everyone gets it. He's Jesus. And Spock wouldn't miss it either if he were there. No, that's true. Spock, well... Who talks about Jesus more I than Spock, know. honestly? what's in? It's true, but what's in Spock's brain this week? Uh, <laughs> how to identify various Native American tribes <laughs> from far away. Yeah, he also decodes those musical notes. Oh, uh, yeah, don't worry. It takes him 58 days. <clears throat> anyway. Well, he's by himself in his quarters. Anyway, go on. Um, uh, Enterprise is uh, burning their engines up trying to get to this damn asteroid now. Right. Because that's the only hope for Kirk. They got to hope he can stay alive for a while down here and they they divert this asteroid. So, back in the tribe, uh, the Elder, whose name I did not catch. Boy, I I don't think I did either. And the tribe's medicine chief, Salish. Okay. Uh, have an argument about whether Kirk is there to rise the temple spirit and make the sky grow quiet. Because uh, I guess this asteroid has made a couple of close passes and they know about it. Oh, yeah. They are uh, very much anticipating what's going to happen. And they know about that obelisk. It's supposed to do a thing. Right. Um, uh, anyway, a uh, woman brings in a drowned boy and Kirk does old school rescue breathing, including the thing where you <laughs> pump the legs. Yes. And uh, revives him. And uh, that's it. That's all these guys need to see. This dude is the god they've been waiting for. They give him the medicine badge. And also that means now he's got an enemy. But he's kind of chill, frankly. Like Salish uh, uh, stalks around making faces at Kirk. (laughs) And at one point he does pull a knife on him. Yeah, I was going to say. He wasn't cool in that scene. And cuts him and then uh, says he's going to uh, ruin him and go tell everyone. But then he doesn't. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so anyway, he makes an enemy. Enterprise, uh, the dilithium crystals fail and they can't deflect the asteroid. So now Spock has the ship retreating in the asteroid's path. Uh, he shoots it with phasers. That don't do nothing. Yeah, he's trying all his plans. Uh so now what's going to happen with this fucking asteroid, and I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit, is Spock is making best speed for the planet, but 
the state the Enterprise is in and will be in for the next two months, I guess, mm. is that the ship is going to get to the planet four hours before the asteroid hits. Yeah, that's how fast they're moving. Just a little bit faster than the asteroid. Just very slightly faster than the asteroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to take them 59 days to get there. Oh, plenty of time to so, sit by yourself in your quarters with your loot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so back on the planet, uh, Salish, who was formerly the medicine chief, goes to see Miramani. It's one of those two ladies to whom he is betrothed. But uh, she tells him uh, the deal's off. She, there's traditions and shit, and Kirk's the new medicine chief, and she will be. she's the chief's daughter, and she will be marrying him. He who comes out of the obelisk is the new medicine chief. That's basically the rules. Mm-hmm. So she's going to marry Kirk. Uh, and then uh, Miramani goes and talks to Kirk and tells Kirk that the wise ones, the preservers, okay. brought these people here from far away. They gave the secrets of the temple to the medicine chief, and they were passed down from father to son, but Salish's father was kind of a dick. And he died before passing the secret of the temple on, so Ouch. everybody's fucked. But that guy, that guy is a dick. <laughs> That's important. She specifically says that he didn't want to share his power too soon, and then he died unexpectedly. So, like, Fuck. a real, just a real piece yeah, of shit. Fucks, dick. And Salish ain't no great shakes either. Um, at this point, the elders show up and they want Kirok to give them some religion. <laughs> but, you know, he's got Tahiti syndrome. He doesn't think anything needs changing. No, he's pretty. These are some noble savages. He's pretty chill. Yeah. He wants to sit in the grass with this lady shirtless and like really awkwardly make out. <sighs> anyway, it's Kirk's wedding day. Yeah. And Salish, Salish, so we've skipped 58 days or so ahead. Yep. Uh, Salish waylays uh, Kirok on the way to the altar and they fight. Um, when he discovers that Kirok bleeds, he's pretty jazzed about the whole thing, but a little starship judo ends the fight. Oh, he's so jazzed he says it twice. Yeah. He says, behold the god who bleeds. It goes to commercial, he comes back and he says, behold the god who bleeds. That's right. <laughs> I was like, Whoa! twice oh no actually i was wrong kirok gets married now smash cut to 58 days later. yeah they do a lot of uh frolicking honeymoon he gets frolicking. married the next day please basically. keep in mind so they do judah watched these episodes quite a long time ago now that's right <laughs> uh they do but you're right they do a lot of walking by the lake mm-hmm. etc um uh, Kirok is so happy. Just so happy. He's, he's never been dude, so happy. He's Kirok of the obelisk. What is there not to be happy about? Except for his dreams of the strange lodge that moves through the sky. Oh, that. They're back. Uh-oh. Uh, Miramani is pregnant. <laughs> yep. That's that's that. She's pregnant. Kirk, he's into Kirk's it. making a baby. Yeah. Sorry, Kirok. Uh, and he's also been making some prime directive violating improvements to the village. He's going to teach him about uh, canals <laughs> or, and, uh, you know, irrigation and lamps and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. Is it not that great? Why are you trying to fix it? Yeah, maybe uh, this is what happened on all those other planets where people Kirk knows went and ruined the societies. Maybe they all lost their memories. Hmm. Yeah. It could be. Anyway, uh, a storm comes. So it is a storm. Right. And Miramani recognizes it. It's the start of the end time. Yeah. And so now Kirok has to go inside the temple and make the blue flame come out. But 
But no matter how much he bangs his fist against the obelisk and shouts, I am Kirok. <laughs> my, one of my favorite all-time scenes in TOS. He just keeps shouting, I, I am Kirok. Ain't shit happen. <laughs> so yeah, good. at this point, Kirok is buying his own myth. Oh, yeah. Like, he's in. He's really convinced I'm Well, Kirok he knew about canals. This shit opening. They didn't know about canals. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, on the ship, Spock has deciphered that the symbols on the obelisk is um, are musical notes, mm-hmm. although they're also language. Sure. And he he knows that it's a monument to the preservers, et cetera, et cetera. The villagers are real angry because Kirk can't make the Dalrock go away. <laughs> yes. So they come to stone him. And his lady. To death. Well, she gets in the way. Yeah. She just runs up there and gets hit by a bunch of rocks, which don't hurt Kirk, but they're definitely killing her. Yeah, they kill her a lot. Uh, Spock and McCoy beam down because at this point we're on the four hour clock. And then they call Nurse Chapel down to help treat the injuries. All the villagers scatter when Spock and McCoy show up. Right. And I don't blame them. This whole thing's out of control. <laughs> yeah, the sky is going nuts. This guy's just shouting, I am Kirok over and over again. Then these two fucking weirdos beam out of nowhere. They decided to stone a god to death, and then two people showed up out of fucking thin air. <laughs> yeah, so they, they they're like, it. oh, jeez. I told you guys it was a bad idea. Maybe we should go to the caves, like Kirok said. Yeah. Um, Spock mind melds with him. Does he? Or does he do the mind fusion? He does the mind fusion, technically. Okay. Yes. All right. It might the, be the, different. the Vulcan mind fusion. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> uh, and somehow forces Kirk to remember who he is. Right. And then they work out that the key is to call the ship on the communicator. And it's, I, I don't know if it's the pitch of the communicator chirping Kirk or the words Enterprise. Kirk to Enterprise. Yep. Anyway, the fucking trap door opens again and they go inside. This time it seems to open a lot slower, maybe because Miramani's laying on it. I don't know. Right. They go inside. Spock activates the asteroid deflector. It just takes one button. But you got to know the right one, otherwise you get hella lightning. And somehow Kirk knew it was one button. He goes, just push the button. (laughs) Yep. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, So don't worry, the asteroid's all gone. Kirk goes to check up on Miramani, but McCoy gives him the bad news. She is dying, so he doesn't have to have a kid. (laughs) And she does die right there in his arms. The end. Matt, what is this episode about? Okay, hold on. I was looking up some images. Um... I guess I know for sure that your Twitter name this week is going to be I am Kira. <laughs> oh wait, no, sorry. It depends on what episode wins, doesn't yeah. it? You can't just choose your favorite thing. That's right. Um, I guess it's be careful what you wish for. And every time I've done that, it's gotten a bad score because it's not a good take. Like Kirk really wishes he could just chill with these natives in the beginning because he's burned out and they seem like super chill. Then he gets he gets that, and it's cool for a spell, but then gets way uncool in a stoned, nearly to death kind of way. What episode was it where he was really burned out? Was it uh, the Space Amoeba? Oh, you're right. There was where another they were all one. like hella burned yeah. out, and they got a call, and he's like, "Can't someone else do this?" <laughs> like, are you for fucking real? He there were a few episodes in a row where he was pissed off at Starfleet for sending him places. Remember the, tri- no, the tribbles one? Yeah, tri- the tribbles. He's he like, are you? F- he didn't I'm care not about doing this. at all. Yeah, like who? Yeah. It's wheat. I don't care. And everyone kept trying to tell who him it was special wheat, and he was just like not into it. Anyway, yeah. So for me, it was be careful what you wish for. I couldn't figure out what else the rest of the episode could have been about. So it's just a two for me. Yeah. Uh, Ben's a zero. Ouch. He says the cynical take is, what if we do one where we exploit both (laughs) women and Native Americans at once? But then he wrote, maybe the real take is no take. So I think that's where that zero comes from. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, I am as much as a three. Hey. Uh, so I am mostly building this on Kirk having his bad fucking dreams and not being able to enjoy paradise. So what I have is, no matter how badly a man needs a vacation, he cannot enjoy one until his duties are discharged. <laughs> it's like... Kirk keeps talking about how he doesn't deserve this happiness. I feel like this was the plot and, of Kentaro. And Spock won't rest until he has deciphered the obelisk, right? That's true. It's like, it's a lame fucking 60s justification. Like, well, you know, a man's supposed to work hard and not take vacations. And Yeah. I, I think it sucks. I think it's a suck take. You liked it in Kentaro. I like Kentaro. When he's I don't think every Kentaro episode, he's like, I have to work. I have to work extra hard and get all of my stuff done so I can eat my sweets. Kentaro's mom did a fucking crazy number on. I him, think I'm gonna now. He's probably a murderer. I'm gonna rewatch that. I think. I think and I'm gonna run should, through it's it so again, good because it's um, now. I kind of want to watch it again. And now you know all of the disturbing things that you're gonna have to. See. I know when to look away. <laughs> When he takes that boy's sweets of virginity. It's so bad and wrong. Or when he, like, fucking basically dry humps his own sleeping mom. <laughs> Fuck, it's a weird show. Anyway, sorry. When he aggressively eats that eclair in her face, it's so And she's, good. like, moaning and also, sweating, and he's just like, ah, ah. Also, in the sweets virginity, when he uh, <laughs> eats that candy in front of the kid, yes. oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to distract. Yes, this, ni- this dude's kabuki face is so fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, he should win every acting award, all of them, just every one in every country. It should be they should rename all the acting awards to the, the Kentaro Award or something. If you said to me, Judah, there's going to be a show where every episode a dude uh, gets a huge vat of syrup poured on him while he makes <laughs> orgasm noises. I would say I will never watch that show, and you cannot make it. Right? Me. It seems uncomfortable, and it is. Oh, but I fucking love it. Yeah. I uh, again. Okay. I want to go to Japan now. I want to go to the sweet city, and I want to eat at all those places and do my orgasm faces. Anyway, yeah, nineteen sixties uh, masculine nonsense. Right. Ben's a two on execution. He says he won't say anything about the natives except that this would make uh, Justine, our friend who is Navajo, ah, mad. Well, you know, we are Ojibwe. Uh, to a nope, to nope. a very to a much less success. don't give me away. I've been putting it on all my applications, so we are Ojibwe one hundred one hundred percent. Well, that that is our family's uh, tradition. Got, preservers didn't save any of those. Oh, okay, so <clears throat> it's silly that Spock explains the basic physics of the asteroid problem to McCoy. Also, uh, I had a comment that I think Spock was really exaggerating how much that rock moved during that <laughs> Yeah, right? Because it looked like it moved a third of the way to the He's planet. He's like, while we've been talking, it moved this much. I'm, no, it hasn't. You're not getting two months if that's the speed yeah, it's definitely moving Definitely not. Uh, he feels like most of the relationship stuff was unnecessary and left him feeling like the end of that one James Bond movie where he gets married and the whole time you're thinking, well, this is going to end super badly. Yeah, as yeah. soon as the woman said she was pregnant, yeah. I was like, she's going to die. It's not good. Kirk can't have no babies. That's not how the show works. Later, it'll turn on he did have one, and there'll be a whole thing about his the mom didn't want him around, and then the Klingon will kill him. But, like, that's way later. You killed my son, you Klingon bastard! 
old Kirk can have a son that he was a bad dad to. Yeah, that's so that we can have a little bit of a that's instructive uh, rumination yeah. on that. But like, we can't see Kirk running off and fucking an Orion woman no. when we know. Hey, wait a minute, he's got that Indian baby. Hey, it's just, it's just like James Bond Junior. Henry James Bond's nephew. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's exactly like that, except that the woman just straight up had to James Bond Jr. I know. That's not how it works, guys. Come on. Your premise is faulty. I named him after my famous brother who's still alive, and he is famous because even though he is a spy, he tells everyone his real name. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I gave it a three for execution. Okay. The soundtrack is The Pits. The soundtrack of this episode is very bad. My first quick, my first quick hitter is for some reason even the opening music sounds racist to me. <laughs> yep. So yes, you're not wrong about that. Uh, there's some real shaky handheld filming inside the obelisk and inside engineering. It's like uh, obviously Steadicam had not been invented, but this is the maybe the worst handheld work I've ever seen. It's Blair Witch level. Yeah, it's not good. Please never let me hear Kirk's thoughts again. <laughs> You don't like What's that? What's the explanation? We, we we have a device for this. It's the captain's log. That's right. That is how he explains what's going through his mind to us. He could have given us Kirok's log. Is through the device. You know what? Honestly, we could have. <laughs> it could have, He could, could have just been a di- diary. I don't know who I am, but I feel like I need to report. You know, oh, whatever, you're, you're, right? you're not wrong. That would not have been any cheesier than anything else that happens in this episode. Um. Obviously a racist mess. Here comes White Kirk to teach these Indians how to irrigate crops and make lamps. Yep. Like, this is not because he's from the future. Yeah. This is because he's he is from a civilized people. That's right. Oh, also, no one comes looking for the Enterprise, and there's no mention of calling Starfleet for help. They're just spent two months floating in front of an asteroid. Yeah, not even on time delay or whatever. Nah. <clears throat> and then also... Shouldn't Enterprise have been in the path of that beam coming out of that obelisk? Yeah. They were in between the asteroid and the planet. Seems like they should have been hella blasted. It's true. Yeah, good point. I gave it a three. I also gave it a three. Um, I said, boy, it's too bad they didn't straight lose the tape of this episode. Because... <laughs> it's, very, it's very true. This one's hard to watch. At least everything that takes place on the planet is very hard to watch. <clears throat> Uh, Kirk didn't get the chill life he wanted with the natives, true, but had there not been an asteroid, and had he not been proclaimed to be some kind of god, he might have had a chill time. Who knows? Uh, The password to get into the obelisk was dumb. The stuff on Enterprise was actually, I thought, pretty good. Spock cannot be denied in this one, and um, the others do what they always do, which is complain. Um, It was a three. Three for me. Okay. Uh, what about world building? For me, it's a two. <clears throat> uh, hey, look, more California planets. Spock thinks that statue requires tech rivaling or surpassing Starfleets. Why does he think that? It just looks like a statue. We got statues. Like, that's nothing. Why is Kirk on a mission to stop an asteroid from blowing up a random planet they've never visited? Oh, yeah, there's no explanation. Nope, they're just on the mission. 
Oh, so they don't just resemble Native Americans. They are Native Americans. Awesome. TOS up to its usual fucking nonsense tricks. Not sure we've seen a deflector beam yet in TOS. This might be the first one. Where they actually shoot something out of the deflector dish. Yep. Uh, the Preservers, a super race and not a Marvel comic franchise, who went around saving random planets from harm. Like Spock! Yep. He's one of the Preservers, if you think about it. Oh, I'm trying not to. Okay, why do they treat Kirk on the planet, um, in, why do they treat him on the planet instead of in sickbay? It's a very good question that has no answer. And why they don't, why don't they be up Miramani? Yeah, I got an answer on it. Um. Okay. In theory corner. Uh, the Vulcan Mind Fusion. Cultures that use musical notes as an alphabet. Kirk to Enterprise being so similar to whatever the password really is that it opens the fucking door. That's like when what's... It's terrible. That's like when I say something random and what's-her-name wakes up over there. And it's like, I obviously didn't say that. You know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. Molexa. Yeah. <laughs> Which I say all the time. That's my That's my expression of joy. Whatever, like the A score run, I'm like, ah, oh, Alexa, yeah. <laughs> didn't somehow didn't wake her up. <laughs> I don't think she's very good at her job. Um, to me, there was a lot of negative world building. You don't like the preservers? I don't know enough about them. Okay, I don't know anything about them. That might be something I don't know, but the rest of it's very bad. Yeah, I didn't mention this, but when they talk about the preservers, Spock's like, you know, we do. There's a lot of similar people out here. We do keep running into people who are very, very like us. Oh, so they're trying to use this as the way to explain all uh-huh. of the... But can they also make alternate Earths? Because I'd like that explained, too. Uh, well, they def- there's definitely implied that they did, because right at the beginning, Spock says that it should not be possible for a planet of this size and uh, age to have this ecosystem. Oh, so whatever his name is, theory about alternate Earths is wrong? It's just these preservers? It's the fucking preservers did it. Oh. Wait, is that fact? Is that... I don't know. Well, there's no fact. <laughs> okay, all because right. Because the, the next time we'll have anything like this, it's going to be, again, New Dak City. Yeah. Oh, man, twice this week. Uh, and uh, a lot is say, suggested in there. They definitely did some DNA stuff. That's very different than the Preservers. Yeah, it is. So I think there's been two of these old boys running oh, around. Well, that kind of changes things. If they, I didn't even realize that happened in this episode. I, I One dude put everybody's D, put their DNA in every planet, and another set of dudes picked up people that they were like, ugh, these guys are in trouble. So presumably this happened in like the 1800s on Earth. Right. They picked up these dudes and they're like, ugh, let's get them out of here. And put them on a planet like Earth. But in some uh, this cases... Planet is, this planet's in fucking bad asteroid trouble. Well, we could deal with the asteroid now, but I guess what we should probably do is put an automated asteroid laser system down on the planet. And semi-automated. <laughs> That's true, it is semi-automated. <laughs> Someone's got to go ahead and push that button, unfortunately. They, someone speculates that the deflector used to do it automatically. Oh. Uh. But it's not working, this, so now someone's got to go push oh, the button. Oh, it's just like when my Wi-Fi stops working, and I'm like, nothing even happened! Why don't you work anymore? It's like that. Then they got to like go that. down and push the button. Huh, well, I don't even know what to think about that, then. Let me think about my score. Okay, I give it a five. Okay. Mostly on the strength of the preservers. This is the first time we see the deflector dish 
actively used I, the first time it fucking shoots a beam. I said that to you twice when I was pretty sure you weren't paying attention. And it well, turns out you weren't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at Landry. The scores are all weird, oh, okay. but that's fine. Uh, and then uh, the therapeutic mind meld. This is the first time we've seen Spock attempt to use one for medical reasons. Uh, maybe that's the difference between a mind fusion and a mind meld. That's probably what it is. Yeah. So I'm a five on this one. Ben's a three. Uniforms don't have an obvious way to open them. He feels like the woman could have figured out a zipper, but like she never would have seen one before. That's true. The feather cloak looks like a Hawaiian cloak. The preserver stuff comes out of nowhere. He says different writers again, huh? Oh, for sure. That's Star Trek's game. Have you thought about your score? Yeah, just give it a five. I don't know what to do with it. I didn't realize there, were, five there was more information about the preservers in there. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's fine. I should have paid more attention. I do zone out a lot on TOS. Eh, it's so 60s, I can't help it. It kind of encourages zoning out, frankly. Uh, do you want to do a characterization? Yeah, I guess I ought to. Mm. Very occasionally, Kirk is burdened by command. Yeah. Most of the time, it's the only thing he loves. This week, though, returning to a primitive existence is his heart's one true desire. <laughs> yeah. I don't love that. Okay. And then... Spock and McCoy have a surprisingly little amount of character work in an episode in which Spock's choices may have doomed Kirk to death. Like, well, McCoy, there's a minute where where McCoy is worried that Spock's burning himself out, and there's and there's a minute where McCoy says, "You have to forgive yourself, just like we all forgave you." But like, yeah, in the intervening two months that we didn't really see, these two idiots jaw at each other all the time about nothing. Yeah, and they do. Almost none of that in this episode. Yeah, I, I do feel like McCoy was mad at Spock in the first day. Like, when they're on yeah. the planet and he makes a decision to leave, and then when he's doing his initial shit with that asteroid. Right. But you're right, we don't see any of the intervening two months. And then Scotty just shows up in this one to complain and say Bairns. <laughs> I enjoyed that. So, I only gave it a two for characterization. Oh, Okay. I don't feel like they're doing the good work here. All right, we were a little bit different then. Um, McCoy, as we know, gets more Southern when he goes on an away mission. It's true. And then I go on a little sidetrack here. Have you ever heard the term rurnt? <laughs> what? R-U-R-N-T, rurnt. Have you heard, ever heard anyone say that? <laughs> no, what would that mean? All right, well, I'm in the South now. And so we have a couple of friends here who are from Georgia. And... Uh, it was him and his uh, brother, brother-in-law, brother-in-law, um, and we were having a game night, and they said to each other that something was rent. And I was like, "What the? F-? Oh no!" They were trying to. They quizzed us because we're from California, and and they're like, "Oh, have you ever heard this term? This is a real southern rent." And they used some examples that eventually made it clear it means spoiled. So it it literally means oh, like ruined. It literally means ruined, but doesn't mean ruined. It literally means spoiled. Like the actual oh, definition is spoiled. Um, and so I really was sort of expecting McCoy to slip into that kind of shit because he's <laughs> from Georgia, but I wasn't sure if you had ever heard that, weren't like, no, that's um, fucking wild. I've never heard that term. They used an example about, uh, uh, pet pig is a weren't pig. <laughs> and, I, and I said, that doesn't help me. I don't know anything about pigs. No. 
Like, no, that's not that anything. Be, that's the least helpful. So then they had to use an example about a child that it made it clear it was spoiled. And then... Yeah, spare the rod and ruin the child. <laughs> right, and then they did another example. Is there, a present, is there a present tense of it? And then what... Is there an ongoing present, like, to ruin? <laughs> it must be. And then uh, Josh was helpful, and he gave me an example about a basketball player that made me understand what he was talking about. But they started with the pig example, and I went, no, that's, that's not doing it for me. I need more. That could mean anything. Does Rurn mean pink? Because I learned in Korean that pigs are pink. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, uh, the devil with the asteroid, says McCoy. Um, <laughs> McCoy sucks in this one. He only cares about Jim and the whole universe be damned. And he's not nice to Spock until two months later. Yeah. Um, Kirk is pretty cavalier about waiting to the last minute to stop that asteroid. Like he wants to go... He wants to look at the people, and then he wants to go back and look at the obelisk, and Spock has already reminded him four times that they have to leave. Yeah, like, was he having a hard time making up his mind? Because it's the minute that Spock said, oh, shit, they're actually from Earth. Yeah. I would have been like, we gotta go. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but I don't want to put in my report. Hey, we saw some Native Americans from Earth. From Earth, yep. Like the real ones? Spock could tell he looked at them. decided to let the asteroid hit the planet, so they're gone. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Um, Kirk is tired of command decisions like Pike was a while back. He also believes the lives of these natives to be uncomplicated with no problems. Because, you know, that is determined by your level of technology, whether or not you have any stress in your life. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Spock's rock talk with McCoy was so delightfully <laughs> condescending. It really was. He fucking picks up a rock and he's like, He's already explained it to him twice, by the way. And he picks up the rock he, and he goes, this is the asteroid. This is the planet. Out here, we can still change the angle ever so slightly and it's enough to make it move. And it's like, he's already explained the, it to him twice. Do you remember when the new girl comes to school and Lisa's having trouble with what a high achiever she is and she goes over to her house and they play the anagrams yep. game? yes. And she says, Jeremy's iron, and, he says, and then he hands her a yes. ball. Perhaps you'd like to bounce it. That's what that was, uh, for sure. It's very much like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy's iron. Iron. Um, Spock is also a man on a damn mission to get this asteroid, which I kind of liked seeing. He's like, he will not fucking stop. He tries all of his plans, and then he locks himself in his quarters for two months and plays his loot until he figures this shit out about that obelisk. Nah, he doesn't play the loot till the last minute when McCoy orders him to relax, and that's his epiphany moment. He, like, he, well, does, I thought he already had figured it out when McCoy gets to his quarters. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so the first time McCoy gets there and tells him, you gotta fucking sleep. I know you haven't slept for 58 days, but you have to sleep now. And Spock's like, What? <laughs> and then McCoy says it's an order, and then he goes and lays down on his bed. But then he gets up and decides to play the fucking harp instead, uh, I guess. Okay. Um, then Spock uses his mind fusion to save Kirk, so he's a one-man wrecking crew in this shit. Um, some stereotypical Scotty here complaining that he can't give Spock Warp 9 for much longer. And then again when he laments the fate of his poor bairns. Yeah. My poor bairns! <laughs> he does say that. Um, it's a five for me. Not so great on Kirk, not so great on McCoy. Loved Spock, and I liked Scotty. 
Yeah, Ben's got my back. It's a two okay. for him. He says Shatner is such a bad actor. He has to do a voiceover on his own acting. So we know how out of sorts Kirk is. <laughs> uh, they aren't used to filming outside. It, they probably got bad audio. It's probably true. His only quick hitter is, is a calculated Vulcan risk different than a normal calculated risk? <laughs> That's a good uh, question. But you probably have some. Uh, I accidentally tuned out 25 seconds in and had to rewind. So that's not good. <laughs> uh, and as you saw, there was some stuff I didn't necessarily pick up in this episode. Um, Shat. Oh, don't worry. They treat all of that like it's not important. Sh- Shat's acting inside of that obelisk was perhaps too Shatnery for my tastes. When he's getting zapped by the lightning. Oh, yeah. He does a real, a real bad stage acting. He's getting zapped by lightning. Uh, is Shat wearing extra eyeliner, or is it just easier to tell in this outdoor lighting? Uh, it is a good question. I also noticed the eyeliner. He was going crazy with that shit. Looked like Chris Angel mind freak. Has anyone talked about that guy in a while? Well, you have now. <laughs> Did his light go off in his house? A light went off in his house. <laughs> okay. That's correct. Uh, as I said, enough brown face in this episode. Um... That line about the god who bleeds was so good, they made the dude say it on both sides of the commercial break. Uh, <laughs> again, wow to these frolicking scenes of Kirok and his new lady. That shirtless hug in the grass was so awkward. Hey, did Kirk become like a brunette when he became Kirok? <laughs> maybe it was just the you lighting. You think all the time outside would have bleached his hair, but apparently not. Yeah, maybe it was just the lighting, but his hair looked a lot darker. Uh, wait, Kirk knocked this chick up? Theory corner time. Uh, McCoy notices this lady has Kirk's baby in her. (laughs) And to save his good pal 1960s style, he tries his best by not even bringing her up to Enterprise and lets her die there on the planet. Yeah, it is true. She got hit with a one-eighth the number of rocks (laughs) that Kirk got hit with, but it was fatal for her. She died almost instantly. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, I think McCoy was doing his buddy a solid in the way that you would in the olden days. Gross. That's it. That's all I had. Man, these guys are uh, unimpressed by everything. Indians from three different tribes on a planet that shouldn't be but is Earth-like halfway across the galaxy, and they're like, do you think we should tell them about the asteroid or nah? (laughs) They've been to so many of these weird Earth planets now. They really are just like, oh, another one. Okay. The big secret Salish's dad wanted to keep from him was the one-button asteroid deflector. Yeah, I mean, what's that even going to do for him? Yeah, I don't know how that gives him power. Yeah, I mean, like, like anyone can know that. the secret was how to get the fuck in there. He probably didn't tell him about Kirak uh, du Enterprise or whatever it really <laughs> is, right? That's right. We the people. <laughs> he knows the words, dude. Uh, I gave best actor to Spock and worst actor to unnamed Indian elder. Well, he wasn't good enough for us to learn his name, so. I thought he might have been Indian from India, by the way. Oh, that would be a nice twist. Yeah. Um, that's four of them. Nice. Yeah, like we're this. cruising. We are cruising through it. Um, uh, last week's winner was TNG. The Defector. That was a good episode. Very good. That's a good-ass episode. This week we watched The Hunted. Good-ass episode. (laughs) 
Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick, pick of, of the week. week. Do you want me to what do it? What happened in this episode? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, I thought I'd interrupt it early this time. Uh, the Enterprise has arrived at Angosia 3 to tour the capital city in advance of the Angosians applying to the Federation for membership. The Prime Minister informs Picard and Riker of a prison break from their Lunar 5 colony, and Picard agrees to help apprehend the fugitive. But Data's in charge and is hella tricked by some slick maneuvers from the fugitive. He appears to escape. Credits. Uh, Riker knows all about fooling sensors and being uh, the man he's meant to be, so he tracks the dude down, and they eventually beam him up after some more crazy maneuvers. But he's extremely violent and beats everybody up before Worf and Riker eventually bring him down. Mainly Worf. Now in a holding cell and having some crazy nightmares, Troy senses him and comes to chat. Uh, She's impressed by him for some reason and goes to Picard to, like, ask on his behalf, or at least point out that there's something weird and inconsistent about this violent criminal. Because he seems like a nice guy. Then she goes to Data uh, to snoop into the Angosian police files, and they discover this guy doesn't even have a police record. Only a military one. You say snoop, but they were just given access. Yeah, I don't think they knew they were going to be used against him like this, though. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Like, did they know? Um... Okay, so they discover he has no police record, only a military record. When she goes back to see the prisoner, he tells her he volunteered for military service when the Tarsian War... Tarsian? Tarsian War? I think it's pronounced two different ways in the episode. Not only that, but they make no attempt to explain uh, who who they were fighting. It seems like it must have been aliens. Yeah, because they seem pretty united on Angosia. That's like the... They're They're very united now. Yeah. Uh, And he was altered heavily with chemicals and conditioning to become a perfect killing machine. When the war ended, he and the rest of the soldiers were thrown into jail after a few incidents when they'd returned back to their homes. Uh, They they couldn't control their tempers. Uh, Sort of. They were sent to Lunar 5. It wasn't a jail at that time. Right, they were sent to Lunar 5, and then uh, because of agitators like Danar... That's the name of this guy, Roga Danar. Um... The Prime Minister tells Picard to stay out of their business when Picard says they may be able to help treat the soldiers. They're going to come pick up uh, Danar and be on their way. When they attempt to transport Danar to the Angosian prison ship, he somehow disrupts and redirects the transporter and leads the Enterprise crew on a wild goose chase. It's long and cool, but basically he takes down their sensors and escapes to the Angosian transport. Thank you. I described everything that happened there's, in mind. There's no but need. It's it's it is cool. I honestly like your description better. It's cool. It's a really good. It's a really really good scene. But it's just he tricks them a bunch of different ways. Uh, Danar then attacks the Lunar Five colony and breaks out a bunch of other super soldiers. The Prime Minister calls for help because they may be headed for the capital. Picard and the very tough and cool away team of Troy, Data, and Worf beams down to help. Uh, where they all have a nice chat about. Um, what to do about these uh, these super soldiers and uh, they don't really come to a conclusion Picard just goes hey seems like he got some shit to work out um, we gonna peace out good luck with all your soldiers and that's the end of the episode 
I mean, basically. So uh, this one probably was about something, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it probably was about something. So what I have is it's immoral to sweep the veterans of your wars under the rug. Yeah. I know that's the most straightforward take you can give on this one. Um, it's possible to talk about these things without resorting to science fiction. But I think having Danar have augmentations and programming is an an easy shortcut for explaining what war does to people. Yes. Like, it makes it easier to not have to do a bunch of groundwork there. Yeah, instead of... So that makes it easier to talk about in 42 minutes. Yeah, instead of the war turned me into a monster, it's like, no, they literally changed everything about me. Right. So, uh, big Star Trek here. Yeah. Uh, the only reason that this is not like a 10 is because uh, the plight of Vietnam vets had been covered quite a bit already by this point, including, as you've mentioned, I, I hope you mentioned, if not all, all of the Rambos. <laughs> There's so or many at Rambos. Least first, at least first blood. I don't know how many Rambos there were by 1990. I think there were already, already. Yeah, a bunch, a bunch of Rambos. <laughs> so it's not like this was not in the public eye. But all right. Still, I gave it eight, eight out of a possible 10. Rambo, first blood. Oh, eight out of 10. Okay. Rambo First Blood is the most sensitive on this issue of the Rambos because it's actually about this issue, but it is still right. only a very surface exploration. It is mostly things exploding. Oh, yeah. Basically, Rambo First Blood, it's, he comes into some northwestern town and, like, one dude spits at him and he goes crazy and blows blows up the whole town. The whole town burns to the ground. Oh, yeah. It's a wild sure. violence show. <laughs> and it's like, hey, what if everyone else is nice? I mean, yeah, that guy was an asshole, but I think you murdered thousands of people. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, I had a nation's responsibility to those who defend them goes beyond giving them the tools to simply survive. Um, hmm. Right out in the open, it's an actual take, right? It's 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 the same area as what you said. It's just... It's not just like, oh, we we did right by them. We gave them all these tools to, so that they could survive. And now we don't really care what happens to them or whatever. Right. Um, so it's an actual take, but it's something that we apparently didn't actually care that much about because Veterans Affairs is a real shit show these days. Yeah, it did not get any better, for sure. Yeah. Um, the reason I didn't have it higher than a seven is because who's on the other side of this? Who's like, oh, fuck the uh, veterans. Yeah, I don't care true. about that. The other side of this is, it's not a person. It's the thing that, and I forget the prime minister's name. Netanyahu. It's the thing that he mentions where he, he just briefly says there was a referendum or a plebiscite or something, and everyone weighed the costs. It was and the will of the people. To, that's what it always comes down to, right? Yeah. The The other side of this is the collective ability to overlook it and the desire to not spend money right right so it's an institutional thing as always it's like right there's never anyone out there being like we hate veterans right no one argues against it we just never it's something we never clean up uh yeah so it was a seven for me and an eight for you and uh this was uh ben's pick of the week and he's an eight. Okay. And all he wrote is referendum on our treatment of veterans when the wars are over, because that's what this is. There's this one is down the fucking middle, right? Like, yeah. Oh, it's out in the open, which I appreciate. Yeah, they 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 there. It's all text in this episode. I love the guy behind the prime minister who twice goes, it was the will of the people. Yeah. 
That guy's crazy. He's excited to have that line. He's so happy. Well, it's like a guy in Les Mis or whatever who gets one line, and so he just absolutely fucking vamps it out and goes crazy yeah. with it, tr- hoping someone will notice him. Uh, Ben's a seven on execution. Okay. He says the Federation is shown to be pretty blind as well as easily outwitted. Ooh. Troy's role is a good one. The crew's pretty much outfoxed at every turn, <laughs> even when Worf thinks he gets the drop on Danar. And uh, Picard probably isn't justified with just up and leaving at the end, is he? Somehow that's a seven for execution for <laughs> He him. sounded negative uh, about it. Where are you for execution? I was a seven, but I disagreed with most of the things he said. Okay. Um, the bad guys are initially shown to be peace-loving, smart, nice dudes. So it's not shocking when something else is going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they never turn out to be like crazy villains either. Just people people capable of exploiting others for their own protection, which is no, a lot. This is a TNG nuanced take, right? Mm-hmm. It's like even... Uh, fuck. What's the name of the guy? Karnak? What's the name of the guy who bought all the weapons from Jameson? Oh, the guy with the cool statues? Yeah. That guy was badass. Might have been Karnas, I don't know. Even at the end, when he watches that guy die, he's like, okay, I guess this is over. Like, (laughs) this was not as satisfying as I thought it would be, and whatever. So, like, in TNG, everyone's a little more nuanced, generally. Yeah. Uh, this Danar escape sequence on Enterprise is actually one of the better bits of Star Trek we've seen so far. I thought the Enterprise crew is actually shown to be pretty good at their jobs, and it's not enough. Right. Like, they are anticipating his movements, at least Data is, the other people. Like, maybe Picard and Riker are a little bit taken in by his destination, the shuttle bay. They are. Riker particularly is a little bit shuttle bay focused. But Data is not, and Data's there to say, uh, nah, he's pretty clearly trying to make us think he's headed there. Worf has some good trickery bits. Like, Danar has to be shown to basically be superhuman. Like, he, the the problem with those scenes is Danar's crazy, crazy intuition about, like, what cabinet nope. has the environmental yes, suit. exactly. He knows way too much about where everything is on a federation. Yeah, I know where all the panels are and what they do. I know how to make this phaser overload. Like, he's just like, he is shown to be too good. The the Enterprise crew is actually shown to be pretty on the ball. Like, there was not a scene where he identified himself as as Commander Data and then asked to see the schematics of the Enterprise or whatever. Do you know what I mean? There there should be, there's no explanation in universe for how he knows where to get a phaser and that you can, that you can power up a yes. cargo transporter with a phaser. How would he know that's something you can do on a Federation ship? Like, why would he know Even that? if he thought, hey, a phaser's probably got a lot of energy in it, and I bet I only need to power the controls, yeah. probably the the power for the actual transporter is still there. Like, even if he had that intuition, how would he know yeah. where to plug, that you could plug a phaser in and where to plug a phaser yeah, in? Yeah, and when he opened up that panel and the suit was in it, I went, of course. There's one of those in every yeah. panel, I'm sure. Like, what? Every Rubbermaid container sitting in that cargo bay probably has an environment suit in it. That's right. So uh, that's the part that I thought was bad about it. I thought the crew performed fine. Um, maybe Picard is a bit too pleased with himself when he beams out of that situation. That could reasonably be expected to lead to hundreds of deaths. Yeah. He is, like, very happy that this has gone so bad for them. And it's like, I get that this is going to prove to these guys that they didn't do a good job, but also like, I mean, we are really on the verge of violence. Both of both sides have guns. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, by the way, the prisoners who shoot first. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And we already have been told over and over again in the episode that they won't shoot first, which by the way, 
how well have they been programmed? Like, yeah, I they've been programmed to defend themselves. They won't fire first, but like, I don't know. What if one of them does anyway? But the other guys seem pretty crazy. If there were no, if there were no problems, how'd they end up on Lunar Five? Right, exactly. They were. We were told they couldn't control their tempers when they came back. So, but he just is like so pleased. He's like, ha, "Good luck next time you want to apply, bitch," and just beams out. So, I get that it's not his job and that he wants him to have to deal with it. But he, I think that was played a, a little bit wrong. Um, so those are the reasons why I couldn't go higher than a seven because otherwise I thought it was pretty badass. Ben's a seven, you're a seven, I'm a six. Okay. Uh, the, a lot of this episode hinges on the idea that Danar is inherently non-violent. Yeah. And I think that's very poorly justified in the episode. Yeah. It is something that Troy asserts. Oh, yeah. And we just have to take her word for it. But... Well, she goes further. She asserts that there is such a thing as criminal personalities and non-violent yes. personalities. And those are just things that, that, are, that people have about them. Yeah, it's kind of a shitty take. Yep. I mean, th- definitely Picard is here to argue that they can undo whatever they did to these guys. Mm-hmm. But, like, that does seem to go against the idea that there is an inherently criminal personality. Yep. Um, I'm not sure that Data's interactions with Rogadanar accomplish anything. I, uh, it felt like the weird... This felt like the first episode where you have the weird crew pile-on where everyone slowly becomes... Uh, defender of someone and they all eventually go to Picard and get him to do something. Right. This is your Iborg is the classic, right? Yes. But this seems like the first, well, there's all, there's others. There's the one um, metamorphosis with that guy and all his shit that he's got going on. I think everyone becomes a defender of that guy. I mean, Crusher sure is, right? I think I, but I think he like heals other people as he's going through and like, I think everyone ends up behind him and then like, yeah, I guess probably. Anyway, I think we'll see it a number of times on TNG in particular where like the crew gets real worked up about some dude and then it falls on Picard in some way. And Picard does say in this episode that he trusts the assessment of his crew, Mm -hmm. right? But he is, he is really putting a lot of trust in that. But the, when I'm talking about this data stuff, it doesn't seem like it has any effect on Rogadanar. Yeah. The things that Data says. And I don't think it's necessary for Picard to have Data chime in also in order for him to believe that what these guys did was wrong, right? Like, so I think that that, those interactions are, they kind of amount to nothing in the end. Yeah. Um, but, and I think you've just hinted at this, the, there's, TNG has got a kind of slow, thoughtful action that you see employed a few times mm-hmm. like no one runs no i was gonna say i have maybe my quick hitters when wharf sprints at him in the first scene where he's ripping up the, the transporter room that's only the second time on tng we've seen someone actually run right otherwise the most we ever get is a slow jog and again the rest of the episode nobody runs everyone is walking like in the whole scene where he's trying to escape mm-hmm. everyone is just walking purposefully while they deliver dialogue and stuff hap- happens, but that whole that whole scene like really works yep. somehow. Yeah, it was really effective. Um, I think the worst that can be said about this episode is that the, it's very earnest and it's a little fraught. Yes, like Rogadena, uh he got his powerful reflexes have allowed him to kill eighty four men and his superior memory means he remembers every one of them yeah and it's like oh he's got a lot of lines he's got so many sci-fi lines in this 
It's a student film. Yes. That's a student film? Yes. Those scenes with him um, and Troy in particular are very... The dialogue is very student film. And it's just like a worse actor as Rogadanar. Uh... A show that hadn't been so serious for the last three years, this would fall flat and be very bad. Yeah. But it, it escapes it in this one. I'm a six on execution. Um, what about world building? Ben's a five. Whoa. Uh, Federation application process, government records for inspection, recent war recovery, Rogadanar, stasis in the transporter, deactivating weapons in the transporter. We haven't seen that before, maybe. No, we have seen it I before. I think we have, yeah. Uh, Picard, Prime Directive, etc. But that doesn't count because these guys are trying to get into the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a two. I don't think this episode is really attempting world building. Uh, the Federation application process is there, but it it doesn't make sense. Like, Picard has way too much power. Well, apparently he... he I get into this, too. He seems to have unilateral decision-making on who gets into the Federation, or at least he wants this guy to think so. He's threatening it. Because he least, walks right? out and he's like, better luck next time. But, like, it's wild that they're even asking this guy to make a report. Is this place so far away that they can't send yeah. an ambassador or a whole team? I don't see why. Because if it is, it's going to be tough for them to be a part of the Federation. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And if it's not, why Picard? Yeah, if a random Excelsior can't get out there, then, like, what's the point, really? Exactly. Uh, so, I, although it is interesting to see a world attempting to join the Federation and to think about what the Federation might value from that world, I think that they kind of have fuck-botched it by having Picard seem to be very powerful in this scenario. Yeah. And then we get a lot of glimpses into the uh, ship's systems, where things are, how they work, what you can shut down, Picard can flood the cargo base. So they're doing some world building about the ship. Here are some things that I would have liked. Okay. The Federation has fought wars. Yeah. <clears throat> what have they? What has happened to their veterans? Is there any parallel inside the Federation? Is there anything that we can draw on? Yeah, at this point, everything about how the Federation fights a war is a total mystery. It just seems it's, like just, it's the same regular Starfleet people who man the ships fighting the wars. That's what it seems like. It's utterly baffling. Yeah. And they don't give us anything here. What does the Federation... What counseling does the Federation have for people who've seen combat or who've had trouble? Mm-hmm. They haven't... Obviously, no one has invented the Cardassians or O'Brien's backstory. Right. But, like... Somebody, right? Yeah. What, what did Picard do after he fought that Ferengi ship? Got a lot of headaches. At, at Maxia. He um, forgot all about it. <laughs> I guess so. He forgot it, dude, remember? Yeah. He is very fuzzy about what is happening. The hero of Maxia. What are you talking what about? What is that? What is it? Uh, the place where I fought somebody? I fought someone? What was it? When was this? Uh, oh, Stargazer. So... Uh, did, I, did, that, did that ship make it? What happened with that? So it's rough to not give them points because they could have done something better, but by the same token, that's how my execution scores usually go. I don't see why it's unfair to do that for world building. So I'm less than the standard through on this one. I'm a two. I agreed wholeheartedly it was a two. Tarsian Wars. Angosians claim to be peace-loving and thoughtful. The Lunar 5 Maximum Security Prison for veterans who could not be reintegrated. Um, This super soldier does not show up on Enterprise's scans as a life sign? 
he can stop and redirect transporters somehow as well. There are such things as criminal personalities, according to Troy. Subhadar. Ah, that's a real rank. We'll talk about it. This Angosian knows he can make Starfleet go away by claiming matters of internal security. How does he intend, though, to reconcile that with a desire to join the Federation? It's a very good question. Wouldn't it immediately really become a Federation to, matter if you really joined the Federation? Get away for get away with this one. Isn't <laughs> yeah, it? like once you join the Federation, it's probably a Federation matter. Yeah, maybe he could request aid or something. But like, it seems like he would rather just wait for these dudes to die. That's the plan, right? Think, They're just going to wait for him to die. I mean, and then mm. well, and one of the guys points out in the last scene, we might need them again. So either to either to wait for them to die or to wait until they need them again. Um, well, you won't need him again if you join the Federation. Yeah, then the fucking Enterprise will be flying around sh- doing your, your shooting war. I mean, yeah, well, Enterprise isn't going to be there every week. It's going to be the Hood. That's right. Or the Victory or whatever. Uh, even the holding cell shields have to drop to transport somebody out. So I guess they contain the entire cell and not just one wall? I guess you'd kind of want them to. Yeah, otherwise you could break out somehow. I almost want to give it another point for the weird sink. The water, the the water shelf. It's just a just a fucking drawer full of yeah, water. The water drawer. That's perfect. It doesn't work for great for washing your hands, <laughs> and it's easy to drown yourself in jail. <laughs> it's just like maybe the perfect prison sink. Yes, it's just a, a point should definitely be added for that. Uh, Enterprise security officers are not great unless they are wharf. Um, <laughs> environmental suits are just in all the cabinets on Enterprise, and Dana knew that. Well, they're clearly not as good as actual soldiers, but Danar's supposed to be special forces, right? Uh, I saw the reaction time on the guy who Danar runs up and hits in the head. Sure. Not amazing. <laughs> well, uh, I think reaction time is real tough when you've just got to point your phaser and know that nothing happens. And you have to hold it there long <laughs> enough for an animator to do something. That's right. And the other guy has to not move, too. It's very important. It doesn't, it doesn't make you look speedy, for sure. Um... Again, Picard seems to have unilateral decision-making on who gets into the Federation, or at least he wants this guy to think so. Mostly irrelevant outside of this episode, and the things that would be relevant aren't well explained or don't make a lot of sense. So, yeah, it was just a two for me. Yeah. Well, that rolls around to characterization, and I will say here that Ben is also a five. Okay. Um, he says Picard is always so gleeful in his smugness when he can act superior. Yeah, it's true. Troy... Troy is a good investigator and persuades everyone to start giving a fuck. Uh, Troy definitely gets personally involved, but we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Riker finds this place stuffy. Uh, on the ball, Riker knows about Moon and sensor stuff. Just ask Data and Troy. Uh, don't worry about it. It's only because he did it once. Do you remember when he hid the Potemkin in a polar orbit? Data tells Troy about it, and then they decide that uh, Riker's pattern is no pattern. That's what I said. Just ask Data and Troy. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I was so excited to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, that's what I said. He knows about moon and sensor stuff. Just asked Data and Troy it earlier. Again, you may have been working or something. I said uh, uh, in the episode... No, I was fixing Lander. Uh, I'll explain. Yeah, in the episode uh, description, um, Riker knows about fooling sensors and being the man he's meant to be, so he tracks the dude down. <laughs> anyway. Um... That's too bad. I'll have to listen to this again because it sounds like you did a good description. <laughs> um... Let's see. Picard thinks the Angosians are perfect for the Federation, even though he's just come in contact with them. Um, Picard seems to think his ship and crew are infallible. He is baffled. Evaded the Enterprise? Um, 
Yeah, he thinks these guys are a real fucking backwater. It's a good time to be Starfleet, isn't it? Like, this is the era. Yes. Things are about to break bad for them. In various ways. We are, at this point in Starfleet, they have climbed their way to the top of the local population. They really are like, they are the power in this part of the galaxy, for sure. You can tell by the way Picard acts. They made peace with the Klingons, but they didn't need to. Yeah. The Klingon Empire was doomed, Mm -hmm. right? The Romulans are off on the side doing Romulan stuff. They're doing whatever they're doing, but they lost the last war, and I don't think there's any reason to think they wouldn't lose again. Yeah. And so the when we meet the Cardassians, yeah. they will just have lost a war, and it doesn't seem like there was any possibility that it was a real war. Yeah, definitely a limited war situation. Right. So, yeah, they're this is, kind of at the top right and here. And it's spelled out in Picard's smugness, and again, the way he was shocked anyone could ever get away from the Enterprise, and all of this shit. Uh, in the end, while he's right that it's not his job to police their cities for them, he seems way too pleased with the scary prison riot going on. Um, Data was not useless in this initial search for once. He eventually anticipates the diversionary tactic of ramming Enterprise, and he finds the dude's escape pod. Uh, he also ends up taking up this guy's cause. Also, Data is not programmed to kill. For now. Yeah. Data again real Later he'll later he'll do it over and over again in a holodeck <laughs> trying to recapture that thrill. But that's And by the way, throughout later. the course of the show and the movies, he must kill hundreds of people. But anyway, um right now he's not programmed to kill. Does he ever, like, go crazy and go on a rampage through a village? No, I wouldn't. Does that ever happen? We would see that if that happened, for sure. Okay, just checking. Just checking on that. Uh, Data again realizes Danar's attempts to deceive during his his big escape scenes. Uh, And Data fucking needles that PM on the have you tried question. He ain't gonna let him go until he answers. When he's like, yes, Data, the emotionless robot. Yeah, he's like, takes Roga Danar's situation very personally. He's like, have you tried to reprogram her? Have you tried to undo what you did? And he's like, we determined it wouldn't work. And then he again goes, yeah, have you tried? <laughs> that was my question, dick. I didn't ask whether you thought about it, asshole. Uh, for battle, come to Worf. He takes this dude down after he rips up the transporter room. Um. <laughs> Worf passes some wounded security men and engineers and just shouts, Jordy! Yeah, everyone for everyone else in that room, including people who work yeah. for him, it's a real fuck you. It is good to be Worf's friend, dude. He is looking out for you, and that is it. When these two boys were lieutenants junior yep. grade, hamming it up in the sensor room, yeah. uh, they, they made an unbreakable bond and fuck everyone else because Starfleet is kind of an old boy. Jordy's club. good at this, though. He's, got, he's friends with Riker. He's friends with Worf. He's going to have some connections around here. You get the you don't see it, but you get the feeling he's probably friendly with O'Brien. Oh yeah, O'Brien probably doesn't like drinking with him because he's such a sad sack. But That's otherwise, right. but they're both in ten forward every night. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, they're there. <laughs> they run into each other a lot. Maybe they see each other too much, and that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also, Jordy's probably his boss. It doesn't come up, but doesn't it seem like it's probably the case? O'Brien's boss, but he must be. Yeah. 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 Uh, Worf uses that old school Klingon guile when he pretends to leave the cargo bay. He learned that from Riker, again, in the very good episode. Oh, where they pretend to be Mout. Uh, with Vengeance Factor. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Kurt Russell. Brawl. Yes. I know I said Brule earlier, but I thought about it. I think when they say it out loud, it's Brawl. Whatever, it's not Chorgon, and that's what matters. Um, O'Brien gets the guy in a cool shoulder lock. 
of some kind. Maybe he's a better soldier yep. than a transporter man. Uh, well, O'Brien does, although he gets stunned and he's out of it for a minute or two, he does a little better than the other guys. Yeah, those security guys did not fare as well as O'Brien did. But he was a tactical officer on the Rutledge. I mean, not an officer. Tactical. I mean, tactical maybe he man. was an officer. Let's be clear. I don't know. His history doesn't make any <laughs> I sense. I don't know what he was. He, it's not even clear what his rank he is. He was a tactical man of some kind. Yeah. Troy feels the need to get involved, maybe because she wasn't hardly in last week's episode at all. Or maybe, well, all right. Also, hold on. Maybe it's because he runs, uh, he runs some, uh, Devonani Raw game on her. Oh, he talking about. Oh, here comes here, counselor. Counselor, you here to counsel me, counselor. Well, I knew a counselor before, and she, and he sucked. So, and then she's like, "Well, my tight pants are now extremely wet." So I don't know. I guess <laughs> I I'm in. Better stomp out of here in this very badly tailored outfit. Um. Also, she really cares what this random violent prisoner thinks of her. You're right. It's what it was. It was yeah. necking. I really got that vibe. Uh, this may be the first incident where everybody, like I said, everybody on board takes up somebody's cause until Picard or whoever has to decide what to do with them. Troy, then Data, then in the end, Picard, I'll back this guy up. Uh, for me, it was a seven. I like it. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't argue with a seven. I'm only a five. Okay. So Picard takes the high ground with authority at the end, but he really could have been more helpful. Yeah. Like, he does not help them resolve that situation at all. He just asserts that it will happen, and they leave. He really just lectures them. I mean, he gives them a, a real useless lecture. He doesn't even pretend to solve the problem like Kirk does. No. Where Kirk in- implements a solution and doesn't care whether it's good or not. I mean, he is used to his lectures having a good effect. Yeah. But, like, do you remember how disappointed he was when he thought he had convinced... Shit. Why did I never remember these people's names? Yeah, the leader of the Proto Vulcan tribe. Brawl. It's not Brawl. Oh, on the Who Watches the Watchers? Oh, yeah. Well, well there's definitely some nasty fanfic out there about those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, do you how disappointed he is when he thinks he's convinced her? <laughs> oh, he's but mad. She still, but then she asks to bring back the people who died, and he's like, he's like oh, these no. fucking people. Yeah, he's mad about it. Um. So, uh, Riker, after he's done remembering that he once hit the Potemkin in polar orbit, he kind of just disappears from the episode. <laughs> I was going to say, did he direct this? Why does he disappear like this? He shows up again at the end to ask whether they w- really will resolve their differences or whatever, so that Picard can say the next 24 hours will be real interesting or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. He also says to Worf that the captain's safety is his personal responsibility. It's his personal responsibility. He follows them all to the, t- to the transporter room so he can... Uh, give Worf a real guilt trip like yep. you know there's a draft of this where he said to him I don't want another Marla Aster <laughs> <laughs> oh that would have been she, so good if that had been what happened she, she stepped on a weird mine in the episode with the ghost I know there's hundreds of um, armed men down there and anything could happen but if this goes bad it's entirely on you and not me and we all on it's you, on the Worf. record uh Jordy gets one good line in you know, for his turn. Double it? When he tells him to double it. Yeah. Uh, Jordy's good when he yells. He's a... Act- LeVar Burton is good at yell acting. Actual actor. And also sarcastic acting. Yes. Uh, and Worf uh, is treated to a little preview of his injury in ethics when all of those barrels fall on him. Yeah, this time it didn't do much to him. And, you know, it didn't fall from so high. Oh, that's it. Yeah, 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 you're right. 
I think that might be the also. I think the one on ethics hits him end on. Ooh, like edge on. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, that could be bad. Uh, so it's a little bit mixed, but not bad. I gave it. I gave it five. Okay. Um. Uh, quick hitters. First of all, Ben thinks the actor who played Rogadinar was pretty good. He's not terrible. There are things that don't come off so well when yeah. when Data says that they are more alike than he thought or whatever. Like he gives like a weird, dumb, surprised look, like you and me similar. You're just like, oh boy. He's uh, so like I said in my. Uh, execution score that this episode's a little fraught and he is actually kind of a lot of the reason yeah um he's he's trying very very hard i think he does i think he does okay he does fine yeah i think i think he mostly mostly makes it through but if we're talking about guys who could have been Riker but weren't <laughs> i would rather have had thaddeus o'connor oh yeah i'm just saying oh, hell yeah what about you want a thaddeus o'connor what's his name combs jeffrey combs jeffrey combs the guy who plays brunt and shran and um Wayun. Sure. Yeah, he would have done because a good job. he was in the running for it, which is such a different person. <laughs> yeah, for that real. That would be a weird record. Uh, but speaking of Rogadanar, awful stunt double on Rogadanar <laughs> in the transporter room fight. Yeah, like just the worst. And then when Worf and Riker show up, real bad stunt doubles on those two. Also, <laughs> some TOS level shit. Yeah, I I really. I know that this probably happens in DS9, and you know what? There's just less fights in DS9. Oh, well, the giant space wars haven't started. Yeah, I guess that's You're, true. You'll get to see but, all of it you can handle. But then also, those aren't remastered in HD. That's true. And I think that'll help. That's weird that they... Whereas T- TOS and TNG are... It's weird that they it, came later, but the demand for it is less, so they just they haven't been remastered. Well, and also they weren't shot on film, and that's a big part of it. Oh. Um... These old boys are going to give the Federation all of their government records. That must have been real fun to explain to the public. Right. Hey, we're turning over all of our records to the Federation so that maybe they'll let us join. Yeah, your medical records are in there. Dude, these people must... Yeah, they're going to know about your weird dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. These people must have heard tell of the Federation for this to be a decision that they made. Like, they, all yeah, the people must so. have been like, Whoa, we get to join the Federation? Oh, hell yeah. yeah um, I'll just tell them about my dick. You want to get on the phone? I'll tell him about it. It's fucking weird. Uh, Rogadinar somehow knows to neg Troy. Yeah. Does she give off pheromones or something? How do these creep men do this? Same way Riker knew the first time he met her. I guess so. Why did the Universal Translator pick Subadar? Yes, this is always our question. Why did it make the entire Romulan Empire? (laughs) A a rank from British India that was denoted a native officer? Yeah. In a colonial army, so like, is there a connotation? He's higher, he's higher than most of the other native officers, but not as not as high as a white. But like, what does it mean on this? That's planet? what I was gonna say. What is the connotation here? Why, yeah, why would the universal translator pick that? Like, there has to be a reason. Was he from right? some weird or, lesser power that was fighting on behalf of the main power? And right, yeah, we're not treated any like we're not. The, it's just left hanging because there. if it's you're just, like, oh, they're aliens, because the writers and they just because it's a weird rank, so they might, yeah, yeah exactly. if they're aliens, they might have weird names for things. Don't pick a real one, then don't pick a real yeah. one, make up one. Also, the rank, uh, immediately below Subadar, by the way, in the British, in Sub Subadar, Jemadar. Oh, what? Hold on, my brain, not Jem Hadar, what, <laughs> but Jemadar. That's interesting. 
It's and the rank above Subadar was Subadar Major, but it doesn't. I was really hoping it was Sub Subadar. No, Sub Sub Subadar, and as Phil Collins was in the, he named yeah. him. Um, I've never noticed the snaps on the back of Worf's Baldrick before. I don't think I have either. But they're there. I guess that's how it gets closed around him. Uh, and then uh, there's a killer on the loose running around the ship. Worf just walking everywhere. <laughs> Real slow walking. I gave best actor in this one to Picard and worst actor to smug prime minister Zephram Cochran. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Well, he's playing. He's playing exactly on type. I think he knew what he was supposed to be doing out there. Be smug yeah. asshole of the week. Uh, I got a couple quick ones. Marshawn pointed out that Roka Danar was the doctor on Voyager before he beefed it in the pilot episode. Yeah, he is the doctor in the pilot. I hadn't remembered Did, that. That's weird. Did she remember that or just read it on memory? She read it. It is there, but like... She, no, okay. there's no way she remembered who the original Doctor was on Voyager. Because I was going to say, that would be a crazy thing to remember. That guy's in one scene. But like, did we talk about that when we did the pilot episodes? I don't know if we recognized yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we ended up recognizing uh, him, which that's is... That's the one episode for which I don't have my notes. So. And that's so weird because I feel like he's important, but when she said it, I didn't remember that it... Like, once I thought about it in my head, I went, oh, that was that guy. But I don't remember ever thinking about it. Well, he didn't have a blue tattoo <laughs> on the one side of his face. He wasn't wearing, like, a hella tore-up gray jumpsuit? Nah, why is that jumpsuit hella ratty? He was only escaped from the prison for three hours. It looks like, I swear to God, it has burn marks on it. What yeah. the hell happened? Well, he's been through some, I guess, this is, look, he killed three guards trying to escape. I guess it, I guess there was some shit. Yeah. Um, I guess it was a whole thing. Let's see. Uh, early in the episode, we see only the second example of somebody running full speed. Again, that's Worf. Uh, and then later on, they're back to doing a lot of determined walking. So, yep, that's it. Oh, we did the damn thing. We did it. And in, uh, I'm just going to say record time. I know it's not, but it feels like record time. It's not, but anytime we get out under three hours is good. Although, I really thought we were going to get out in 2.30, so I guess we spent some time on the hunted. It was worth it. Uh, the scores this week. Mm. In fifth place with 28 points, Whoa. the Paradise Syndrome. Hey, that's not bad for last place. It's not terrible for last place. I don't have those numbers in front of me yeah, yet. Yeah, what's the deal? Uh, but I, we will. We can say that the lowest a winning episode has ever scored is 27, and 28's better than that. Yeah, so like, that's not bad. There's a week this last place episode would have won. It was also a TOS. Uh, in fourth place with 33 points, which is respectable for fourth place, mm -hmm. uh, Unity, Voyager. That's respectable for Voyager, too. Yeah, 33 is not bad for Voyager. Voyager's average is uh, only 26.4. And so. it usually goes down. This is one of the rare occasions when it goes up. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good they point. They really rarely that's hit 26 these days. Basically a full standard deviation above their uh, normal. In fact, hold on. In fact, uh, in, hold on. Let me go back. The last time, okay, the last time they got to 26 was Fair Trade, which got 29. So, okay. There you go. Yeah. It has been it has been on the downturn yeah. for quite some time. Uh third place this week, a fully respectable 38 points. Enterprise the shipment. That's cuz of me. I scored it. Enterprise is really Enterprise is really third place at this point. Third place material. I uh I scored it six more than you, so I'll take the I'll take the hit on that one. I mean, you get the credit, but like, 
even if he only scored a few, it was it was pretty yeah, much. Well, it was going to clear thirty three this week. Yeah, yeah, it was going to get that thirty three. And uh, frankly, I didn't hate it. Uh, I think mostly because the new deck was pretty, pretty good to watch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, second place this week, thirty nine points. Deep Space Nine life support okay. pays to do sci fi. Yeah, give it a shot, guys. Yeah, take take a fucking swing at it, huh? And uh, the winner this week, 21st win, yeah, 44 points, TNG, the hunted. No one's going to catch them, man. They're off. Uh, boy, they are off. Uh, just looking at the totals, uh, TNG is closing in on a 200-point lead with uh, over second place. Yeah. And that second place is now only four points away from being Deep Space Nine instead of TOS. Yeah, it might have been even closer at one point, and then they they uh, lost a ton of points one of the weeks. Yeah, they had a bad week for yeah. sure. Uh, TNG's average is over 35 now. Ooh. It's up to 35.1. Uh, Voyager's average is 26.4, so that's uh, basically nine points difference. Yeah. Yeah, opening up their big fat lead. Uh, it was a good week. It really was. Uh, overall, um, you know, uh, I had a, averages of 17.4. You had averages of 19. Uh, another 36-plus week for the total. So, yeah. really, that that's actually pretty rarefied. We've had higher than 36 a few times, but, like, really just a few times. Yeah. So, a, a decent week this week. Next week, we're watching And the Children Shall Leave. I didn't check out the thumbnail on that. Which one is that? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to load okay. up Netflix. Right. Um, it could it could be the one where the hippies come on board. Yeah, the, oh, that does sound right. And and uh, they call Spock Herbert over and over again. Uh, nope. No, no, no. Nope. Bunch of weird kids. With, no? Bunch of weird kids? Yeah, okay, a group cool. of orphan children under an alien's control takes over the minds of the Enterprise crew. Oh, I hate it. I hate that description, and I don't remember that episode. Not excited. I'm looking at the thumbnails, and I don't like them. TNG, we're watching The High Ground. Oh, we just did Veterans. How about terrorism? Your own George Washington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, Heart of Stone. Uh, Odo? Maybe. Feels like Odo? Voyager, we're watching an episode called Darkling. Well, that doesn't sound like something you can say. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I know it was only the 90s, but let's... Come on, though. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm morally certain nobody is... Now someone's going to be called a dark one, for sure. <laughs> it's not... It's going to happen. It's not... You can't say real. it, though. You can't say that! I hope it's not Tuvok. That's what I'm saying! You can't say that! Don't say that. Uh, Change the name of it. And uh, Enter- Enterprise... Uh, the thumbnail is Archer in what looks like a hospital bed. Oh, the episode good. is Twilight. He finally dies. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, that'll be great. The rest of the uh, the rest of the oh, you're the right. Rest of the series will be T Pole and Trip. You're right. That's not so good. Sort of arguing about who should really be controlling this Man, ship they, very far away from Star. They don't League. give you a lot of options on that show. What the hell do we do there if are, Archer dies? There are no like who do you who do you want running that ship? Fuck. Hoshi. I don't know. Where it's going to be a very different mission. Is Mayweather ever going to get any lines if Archer dies? I oh, you'd figure unless they're going to introduce suddenly the character of chef. That's right. Chef becomes the main character. We haven't talked about this, but the sh- chef, we never see him, but he is Lenny Henry, right? He fucking better be. Okay. And just better checking. be fucking dope at impressions. 
Does he do impressions in the show Chef? I never watched Chef. Hey, uh, Shannon and Body, <laughs> did Lenny Henry do impressions in the show Chef? You must know about Chef. It did happen on your watch. I mean, Shannon didn't live there at the time, but she lives there now. I'm sure they replay it on one of their five channels. It's your country. You tell us about Chef. I want to know about Chef. We have given you a lot of assignments this oh, week. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, should we even spoil it? We got some super dope. We have a great mailbag coming up yeah. next week because we have some physical mail. We got some dope shit, so we're going to get into it. Those are the episodes you should watch next week. Children Shall Lead, High Ground, Heart of Stone, Darkling, Twilight. Can't say that. And But the real next week, that's two weeks from now. Next week is a mailbag. So send us some mail at the Twitter machine address at BrotherDate. Uh, go to brother8.com to listen to this episode if you like to do it that way and also check out Landrew. Um, send us a regular email, maybe an audio email, brothers at brother8.com. We'll fucking do it. We'll read it. We'll listen to it. Anything. Um, it's pretty much true. We are all Kirok. He just stands in front of the bus and goes, Moonlight Graham. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great Um, film. Let's do that. Let's skip the rest of this episode. Let's just do Field of Dreams. dreams. (laughs) I don't have any notes, but I remember the whole thing.